is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroud. You need one of those movie countdowns on the Skype screen, Steve. Not right. me. I, I have uh, my mic muted. Okay, well, we're live, everybody. So let's just say three, two. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another week of Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show about the color computer. It's probably the only live talk show about the color computer. I was, was going to say. And that's why we're leading. And we have another great uh, panel of distinguished, uh, notable guests. And uh, I will start in reverse order this time. So from bottom right to top left, we have Richard Cavell. We have Grant Leedy. We have David Ladd. We have Mike Overholz, Mark Overholzer, Richard, hey. Lor Richard Lorbieski, Bruce Moore, and Jacob from Canada A, Barry Nelson, L. Curtis Boyle, A, and good day, Nick Morentis. How are we, everybody? Good. I decided not to do an 18-minute introduction this week. And so um, we're all here. We're going to be talking Coco, all things Coco. Uh, and as, as each week goes, the things we talk about end up becoming fairly spontaneous, driven by both the... People in the Skype call above me and the people in the chat and, and who knows what else. But there are a few things we do want to talk about today. And it's kind of a, a, a lame attempt at doing something I've been wanting to do for over a year now. But I've been wanting to do something like top 10 Coco games. Like the Coco 1 and 2 games, top 10 games and do a special on that. And then Coco 3 games, top 10 games, do a special on that. And, and those just take time and planning and effort, and, and that's just stuff I just haven't had. So rather than having a nice, fully polished, produced one, we'll just wing it. And we'll just talk about our favorite color computer games, because it did come up again this week in the Facebook group. Um, I opened up the topic about a year ago. I opened it up again, saying this will make a good Cocoa Talk, and then somebody else brought it up. Matter of fact, let me, um, let me see who that was. Let's just pull up the Facebook thread here real quick. So um, I got to remember how I switch screens. Hello, hello. This is how I switch screens. So let me pull up Facebook. I have Facebook open somewhere on here. I got a couple of tabs open. Here we go. Oh crap, dude. This is uh, this is what I hate about. It. I had Facebook open to the exact post of where it was, and it has somehow just scrolled all the frick over the place here. How do you like those apples, huh? What was the topic here? Here we go. It was from Matt. Uh, Reichert, Reichert, I'm not sure how to pronounce Matt's name, but he posted the most recent post and he says, what would everyone say are the top must have Cocoa games for the Cocoa 1, 2, and 3? I'm busy pulling games on disc, but there are a lot of them out there. I'm mostly interested in action arcade games, adventure games, and role playing games. And so then people started chiming in here. We had Photon, uh, King's Quest was listed. Um, Chris Smith says, I like Shock Trooper and Cashman and Sailor Man and Downland and Gantlet and Dragonfire and Draconian and Rad Warrior. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. So I think I recently did Rad Warrior too. It's an interesting um, and, and just different type of game. Um, that kind of carried on. It's an Apple II discussion about Rad, Rad Warrior. Uh, what else did we talk about on here? 
Okay. Thexter was mentioned. I'm surprised Thexter made the list of Coco games. Okay. Uh, Thexter was mentioned. Richard Kelly says, what did he say? Gosh, I have to read all this crap now. So again, if I was prepared, I'd have all this stuff distilled down into bullet points. Uh, Buzzard for the Coco 2. What the heck is Buzzard? Buzzard bait, he's referring okay, to. Okay, Buzzard. Okay. And then Leisure Suit Buzzard, Larry. It's the clone of, the, uh, of Joust. Okay. And it's been released been released for distribution so it is right available. dungeons of daggereth made the list no list of coco games would be complete without mentioning dungeons of daggereth um it is a great game dungeons of daggereth so that kind of carried on into a thread of dungeons of daggereth stuff uh gold runner 2000 travis pope isn't he the author of that game or no, no who is uh, it? chet simpson's the author okay well who's travis pope is he a game author too his name sounds familiar. I don't know why. There's so many names out there. Not that I recall, but that okay. doesn't mean... You know, Time Bandit made the list. Canyon Climber made the list. Downland and Dragonfire made the list. Downland, Doubleback, and Sea Dragon by Hugo DeFort made the list. Anything by Sierra Online, that's usually a good uh, a good thing to agree with. Okay, then we have Photon, King's Quest Four, Shanghai, Crystal City, Kronos Rift, Donkey Kong Remix, which also Barry's daughter mentioned she likes to uh arkanoid um the 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 list go a uh, pop star pilot <laughs> there we go because yeah we got to talk about new games too we could talk about our favorite classic games but there are so many new games juniors revenge cave walker pegasus and the phantom riders another one one of barry's daughters picked which is a good game um, yeah, juniors I, I, revenge i just wanted to mention i actually have we, we actually have two real live honest to goodness Game playing expert teenagers that are listening into this call. All right, there we go. I was one of those forty years ago. Uh, <laughs> Black Sanctum. That's one I don't think I ever played. Quest for Star Lord. There's a thread going on around that. Ghana Buana was brought up, um, and then you know it just keeps going here. So Sierra Games, then we got into a discussion on how much space do they take up. Here's a great list here. Cashman, Time Bandit, Shock Trooper, Pegasus, Canyon Climber, Sea Dragon, Marble Maze, Gauntlet, Puyan, Zaxxon, Ninja Attack, and Module Man. Um, great list there. So the hits keep coming. I had posted this originally back in May of 2015, I think, um, uh, like uh, a while ago, and I'd gotten a bunch of suggestions then. But rather than talk about the past now, we'll talk about the present since we got a bunch of people here. We'll just talk about it ourselves now. What were some of our favorite Coco games? I have to remember what I have to click on here to get my screen back. What are our favorite Coco games and why are they our favorites? John T. Robbs is here. Evan Wright is here in the chat. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, Nicole is here. My friend's daughter is here. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Um, and yeah, so of all the stuff I mentioned, when you, when you, let's just pick one. Everybody pick a game and, and say why you liked it so much. Okay, Leanne? Pegasus. Pegasus and the Phantom Rider. And why, did, why do you like Pegasus and the Phantom Rider so much, Leanne? Because it's fun to play, and then I get to beat dad with it. <laughs> ah, there you go. Uh, darn, you get, curse those darn teenage reflexes. You get to beat dad with it. While you guys are talking about that, I will try to pull that game up so everybody else can see it, too. Pegasus and the Phantom Rider was a great game. Um, kind of a Joust-type uh, inspired game. 
with horses, and flying horses. Has some pretty awesome uh, color uh, dithering and, and composite effects for artifact colors that it does too. Yeah, I'm trying to get my, speaking of colors, trying to get mine um, toned down a little bit. So I can bring it up. So it's a great, it's a great flying around, beating up your opponent type game. Did that one support two-player co-op? I don't remember. Two-player what? Cooperative. Cooperative. Yes. Two-player. Two-player simultaneous. simultaneous. So let's put it that way. It, it, it no, it supports two-player cooperative and two-player uh, dual mode. And okay. uh, for the reason Leanne just mentioned, usually I want to play in two-player cooperative mode. Otherwise, I get beaten up. <laughs> Yeah, and here's the game. Let me see if I can pull it up here. One, okay. Yeah, oh, you got now, of the course. Colors reversed. Are yes, you on a Coco Three? I'm on a Coco Three. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Now you got the colors right. There we go. And so here I am in the corner, and I'm this little horse here flying around. And you have to bounce off the tops of the people above you. I just hit one of those horses. Now, in the re original game, Joust, when you hit them, they dropped a uh, an egg. And in Pegasus, they drop a like a tombstone, like a cross. And you have to also. I just I just had a um, a, a tie with that guy. If you're, the object is to be a little bit higher than your opponent when you strike them from above, and then that counts as a strike. If you're lower than them, then you are stricken. If you are exactly the same height, it's kind of a draw, and that just happened there. Yeah, it's a great game. And as Barry was mentioning, it does a great job of messing with the colors. It's kind of really <laughs> blurry here, and it's hard to see. But you can see definitely two shades of blue, right? You see a light blue for the sky. You see a dark blue for the water. You can see what looks like uh, orange sand down there. So these are taking all these artifact colors and kind of messing around with those artifact colors. So yeah, it's a great game. And so you got, so it did support two players at the same time, right? Where both of you could be fighting against the bad guys. Mm -hmm. See, speak. Yes. And, and then it also, I think this one also supported the speech sound pack too. Yes, so you would hear some of the synthetic voice, which was kind of a cool feature, you know, 40 years ago. Um, gets to be a little bit annoying now listening to that robotic voice, but it was anything that did a little something extra. It was always kind of exciting. Um, and so, yeah, definitely a cool game. Pegasus and the Phantom Riders, definitely, this should make the, this, this was, um, this was released by Spectral Associates, right, Curtis? Uh, well, it was programmed by Spectral, it was released by Tandy Radio Shack. Okay, licensed, so Spectral licensed it to yeah. Tandy. Right, and Curtis, for anyone who doesn't know, and if you don't know this, shame on you, but Curtis Boyle runs the Color Computer Games List website, which has got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, um, of color computer games in here. As a matter of fact, let me just do that real quick too. I will switch. And over. hundreds and hundreds, I haven't got up there yet. <laughs> I know that's the thing. When I when I started doing um, color computer game videos, I, I thought I'd do a hundred videos. I'm coming up to two hundred, and I haven't scratched the surface of them. So here's Curtis's site. So if I switch over to letter P, by the way, I made Curtis's site cocoa green because it was a little too white for me, and. Um, uh okay p p phantom slayer p pegasus where is p i can't read pac-man pac-man panzer why can i not find pegasus and the phantom right Riders? The don't tell me it's not there oh my gosh here it's it is there. i found it it's okay there. so here's here's curtis's website right and so curtis is also showing you some screenshots of the game and you can see here one, one of the things i did like about pegasus and fan writer not only it's it's based on joust which is a fun game by itself but um joust had a fairly fixed playing field and we saw the same 
um, the same arrangements kind of over and over again. What Pegasus and the Phantom Rider did for us was kind of um, give us this scenery and it was kind of almost telling a story at some point in time because it looked like you were getting closer and closer to the motherland of where these um, these these big mean flying horses were coming from. Uh, and so I don't know if you ever made it to the actual island. David Ladd, you've probably gotten the furthest in this game out of all of us so far. Do you ever make it to the island or is just seeing the island that close about as far as far close as you get to it? Um, you get up into the actual cove of the island and you fight fight them. It's basically a bonus bonus stage where you keep fighting them and then after you finish that, then you start basically over again. It's just a continuous So it loops. It loops. So so the picture that Curtis has right now, picture number four we'll call it, that's not the actual cove, or does it get closer than that, or is that the cove itself there? Um I think think it gets closer doesn't it um curtis it's been oh, like several i can't remember I, um, I i think that the, is the, the end was cold the end got think. to the bonus wave on one of her uh attempts not too long ago so if we can get the picture up on the, the skype screen here i can it, tell you it's up yeah it's up I, i'm not seeing it hold on it looks like i've got oh no Looks like I've got a picture of, it looks like Nick on the, the screen. Oh, you might have to click on Steve. You might have to click on picture. me because um, I'm yeah, my, be this one it. is green. Look for the green one. But anyways, yeah, it's, it's a fun game. So the so the the author of this game was David Fig. Is that how we pronounce this, Curtis? Fig or I Figgy? I think so. I've never Fig? got a hold of David, so I don't know how to pronounce his name. And because the game was um, produced by spectral associates there are some um recycled sound effects in this game that i'm that you know existed on other games too so if i'm not mistaken it might use the same sound effects that some of lancer used when you hit a bad guy in lancer which was their other joust clone which was a good one too yeah um, have, you, have you tried buzzard bait uh, i have in the past Would you want me to pull it up nick yeah as a comparison i guess okay and Lancer, so, too, I guess. is. I guess if we're talking Pegasus and the Phantom Rider, we might as well yeah, the do, rest of the Joust do clones. all of that. Yeah, we'll show all the Joust clones. Actually, does my clone page have all three of those listed for you? It probably does. All right. So we the will... pictures side by side. And, 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 by the way, so I'm using the Coco SDC Explorer here as I pull all these things up on my Coco. So we'll type in BU, for, and that got me straight down to Buzzard like that. I Shameless like that. Plug. Shift M to mount, right arrow, <laughs> enter to execute. And what do we have here? Drum roll, please. Okay, hold down the F1 key, hit reset till the screen is a lovely shade of orange. And we have buzzard bait created by the rugby circle. What can you. Oh, crap, it's not freaking. Is it F1? You hold down and then press reset? Isn't it F1, Curtis? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, you have to hold there down the F1 key while you're here. Yeah, yeah. You gotta hold down the F1 key while you press the reset. I did that. Damn it! Damn computers don't know what the hell they're doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I meant to do. Um, here we go. So this is Buzzard Bait. Buzzard Bait. Now this is not. This is Tom Mix Software released this one, and this was created by the Rugby Circle. Now is the Rugby Circle uh, like an actual software team or group of people? I, I yes. recognize the name on a few titles. 
They, they did some Tier City Model 1 and 3 games, and then they also did like Death Trap on the Coco, and they did this one. And See, these ones show you the eggs. And so this is a little bit truer to in joust form because you actually have the lance that you're carrying. And I just got killed. As I'm looking at my guy, he almost looks like he's riding a dove. I, I look like I'm riding a swan or something. But what were the things supposed to be in the arcade? The the bad guys were what, like ostriches or something? Because they had those long legs. I don't even know what the heck that they were in the arcade in, in Joust. But this is Buzzard Bait, another great game of, um, another great clone of Joust. And this one was very good visually, and the characters were nice and large. Um, it was a little bit herky-jerky in the flapping of it, and the one thing I did like about Lancer is uh, it was a little bit smooth gliding. When you, yeah, the, when you, the, the flight mechanics I liked in Lancer better, too. Yeah. Though a lot of people prefer the speed that you get out of Buzzard Bait. Yeah. It's faster. So that's another great Joust one. And so we'll just switch over again, and we'll pull up Lancer now. Hi, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're listening to Coco Talk, the nation's leading weekly live talk show about the Tandy Color Computer. Let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you're done with Coco Talk, if you gotta have more cowbell, then head on over to my YouTube channel for your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find over 1,300 family-friendly gameplay videos. Everything from the old school to the next gen, and over 200 color computer gameplay videos, as well as interviews and replays of Coco Talk. So if you need your share of gameplay goodness, then check out the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh on YouTube at youtube.com slash OG Stevie Stroh. What since we're on the joust kick right now, we're going to go to Color Computer 2 Games, Sorting Directory, I'll do LA for Lancer. And this is actually fairly quick for, um, fairly quick and easy to be able to do this. Alright, Lancer Bin. Okay, I have to hold down F1, press the reset button. See, it's not freaking doing it, man. I'm holding down F1. I'm hold. I right, swear right to you, I'm. The reset cycle. Huh. I'm holding it down, man. I'm holding down F1. There we go. Are you on a Coco three or a Coco one or two? I'm on a Coco three right now. You on a Coco three or a one or two? I'm on a three. There's no F1 on a Coco one. That's true. Yeah, you got me. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, which well, joystick actually, I do I need? I did see one once that had one because somebody. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> All right. Who's like unloading their groceries in the house right now? Here, a bunch of things falling and falling around and rustle, rustle and bustle. <laughs> this one, the characters are smaller. Um. But the enemy riders look pretty cool. Enemy riders look kind of pretty wicked, actually. Um, so you're smaller. These sound effects are similar to the sound effects in, but they're not exactly the same as I'm hearing it. They're similar, but uh, whoop, that, that egg pickup sound is pretty similar. We can't hear the sound. Maybe you need to share this, the audio. Oh, there we go. Share system sound. There we go. 
Yep, there we hear it. Now you hear it. So the sounds of these guys bouncing off of each other is similar to um, Pegasus. That sound there is a little similar when you pick up the egg. That that's similar. They're they're similar sounds. I, I have a feeling, and I don't again. I don't know. You guys who make games would know better. But when you write a routine to make a sound, is that kind of like an asset? Like nowadays, the sounds would all be like digital wave files, and you would just reuse wave files. But back then, when you made sound, it was still kind of written in code, right? Back then, yeah. You so if you wanted to reshare sound effects between games, you just had to reshare that section of code. Yep, you literally could. Nowadays, in the Coco Three games, we are using digitized sound effects equivalent of WAV files, like Nick and others have done. Right. Now, Steve, um, you wanted to see the cove. Um, I put a link to a video I did for. Um, it was one of my crappy live streams, but uh -huh. uh, I put a link to it and the time offset, so you can go straight to it to see the. Uh, cove or the bonus wave okay let me just say hi to some people in chat who i couldn't see before because i was full screen with my game so we have alexander wallace here um hello alexander he says i'm late but without sleep deprivation um glenn hewlett says hi to all hello glenn mr pac-man feel free to join us on skype if you'd like and michael brandt says i have an f1 an f2 an f3 and an f4 on one of my coco ones <laughs> you sure got a lot of f's there um and fedor is here Fedor, how are you? In, in livid, Hi. vivid, vivid video. How are yeah. you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, right, I didn't even nice. I didn't even see you before because I had the the game in uh, the game in full screen. So yeah. we're talking we're talking our favorite uh, Coco games right now. We're on the oh. topic of um, uh, Pegasus and the Phantom Rider, and we kind of got into the whole Joust thing. So where did you put that link, David, with your thing? Did you put it in Skype chat the or Skype you... chat? All right, let me see if I can find that. And so David is mentioning that he got to it and a time offset 36 minute and 32 seconds. Yeah, luckily, you know, um, luckily you spared us that much time, right? So <laughs> thanks a lot, Steve. 36 minutes and 32 seconds. Where the hell did okay, it go? Go, Susan. Go, Susan. Where did it go? The Where... game is Donkey Kong Remix. Donkey Kong Remix. We'll get to that. Why is it not coming up? YouTube.com, edit my info. This is weird. It's not taking me to your video, Drencor. I'm clicking on I'm clicking on it and it's taking me to my freaking videos. I don't know why. Oh, sorry. Let me try the, the stupid yeah, give me, thing. Give me a different link, Jackass. Oh, it's because it gave me the <laughs> link the link which is for me to edit my video. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Ah. There we go. I am uh I'm going to have to drop off Phantom of here. I may be Rider. dropping back on later. All right. But you guys right. have a good time. Here we go. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you later, Barry. So, so I'm going to... Uh, favorite game at some point, Donkey Kong Remix. Donkey Kong Remix. Awesome and you guys have a good time later. And beat that later. Sounds good. 58,900. All right. So you're at 36 minutes, you said, Drencor? Yes. All right. 30 minutes, 31 minutes, 33 minutes. 36, 32. Hut, hut, hut. It's 35 minutes. Here we go. Oh, wow, look at oh, that. There There's a waterfall. I've never seen that. That's called the lagoon. Now I remember it. Actually, I'd forgotten about that one. I have never seen that level before. And this is the version that's patched for the Coco 3, right? Because it's very clean. Yes. 
Yeah, and you notice the artifact colors aren't quite I, as good as the star. right, but they're 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 good. They're pretty good for this being RGB. So this is the lagoon phase, and what happens here besides fighting bad guys? Is there like a boss? Not that I remember. You just keep fighting them and avoid the the water creature at the bottom. He, yeah, he looks like he's throwing uh, mushrooms at you or something. I don't know what the yeah, heck he's doing. Flame throwing pleasor. Yeah, flame throwing plesiosaur. There we have it. <laughs> yes, but I spent way too much time playing this. Well, yeah, if it took you, <laughs> it took you forty minutes to get there. I, I mean, I have I'm, made I, it to this level before myself, but that was back in my youth. I don't think I've made it. The last 10, 15 years. I'd, I'd forgotten about it until I saw it. We thank yeah. you, David, for the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that's just inspiration now. Now I got to get it just because freaking David Ladd did. Good. And then it loops over. Then it loops David, over. David, you set a high bar. Can I you did. Yes, you did. So um, cool stuff. Cool stuff. So, yeah, that is definitely one for the books. Uh, Pegasus and the Phantom Riders is one for the books for sure. Um, uh, what else do we see here in the chat? Uh, there was third-party keyboards. Okay, we're talking about the F1 keys. Uh, <laughs> Michael Brandt says, I think I got that cocoa from Brian a while ago. Yeah, we got Michael Brandt and I now have lots of Brian Blank uh, good stuff in our in our collection now. Uh so Pegasus and Fan Rider and Joust Games. Donkey Kong Remix was mentioned. Should I go ahead and pull that one up? Because that is definitely a modern classic. Yeah. Um, and darn hard. John Linville is calling. Let's add John Linville to the group call. Call for you. There we go. There's a John. I see a John. Oops. John now, Linville, are you seven. here? Welcome, John. All right, so we'll switch over to the Coco 3, and we will try uh, Donkey Kong Remix. And maybe we'll get uh, Curtis Boyle to talk this one up as I queue it up, because it's going to take me a minute to get it loaded. Um, okay, well, it's um, another Sockmaster production. After he did the original Donkey Kong Court, he decided to actually make an original version of it with a bunch of new levels and, and new challenges, etc., um, based on the same emulator hardware. He's actually ported this to the real hardware, so you can actually get the upgrade for the arcade uh, machine itself. In fact, he's gone further than that. He's now done a Donkey Kong Jr. remix on the actual arcade hardware. So it requires 512K. It emulates the uh, Z80 slash Z80, depending on where you're from, as well as the uh, sprite chips and everything else, and uh, has digitized samples for the sound. requires 512K. As I mentioned a little bit before, it even it kicks in native mode if you have a 6 through 9 to give it a little bit smoother sound and smoother graphics. And uh, I don't know how much more I could add to it. Okay. It's a darn hard game, though. I mean, he's made really, really challenging levels. And it's firing up. Donkey Kong Remixed has just fired up. Now, I've seen the video for Donkey Kong Jr. Remix. We were, I think it was last weekend, we were in a Skype call with Scott Sockmaster watching his YouTube video on this. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, uh, I guess got to find the correct joystick here. So we're going to go ahead and say number of lives. We're going to give ourselves maximum lives here. Um, now, order is Remix A, Classic. I guess Remix A, is that the way we should go? Sure. I don't remember I don't, which one's I which. don't remember. <laughs> so Classic would go in the normal order. I guess Remix A is that one. And then we're going to start game. And um, this game was impressive as heck. 
and it still is. So I mean, the, this. So what happened is, you know, Sockmaster first ported the original Donkey Kong for the Color Computer Three, and that was uh, no small feat. Um, and then he went back and basically tweaked the game. So this is a remixed, um, reimagined version of the game with changing the levels and the physics and the gameplay and stuff. Why am I um, still here? You, you, the last time I played this, it started off on the weird split screen. Um, it might be level. one of the other remix levels, then maybe I'm yeah. not sure. I, don't I, know like I, said, I can't remember which one's which. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that this is not only this the same literal Donkey Kong game, but it is a, a new and improved version of Donkey Kong. It's freaking hard, Mr. Bigglesworth. Yes. All right. I think John's the only one who's actually mastered it. Yeah, yeah. To him, it's, to him, it's easy. Yeah, just like. Uh, well, I, I've seen like there's been some review uh, YouTubers that actually review actual physical hard arcade games on the actual hardware, and they've gotten these upgrade boards, and they get stuck on a lot of these levels too. So it's not just us. Right, 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 right. But yeah, so Donkey Kong Remix. If I can make it to one of the remix screens, it's incredibly impressive. I'm getting hit in the head here now. Um, but Donkey Kong Jr. Remix, I watched that video. My God, was I blown away by that. There's just so much more going on there. Um, with the yep. number of levels, the improved sound, the speed of it. It is just like, it is, um, you know, it's, it's a shame that Nintendo could never do anything like this. I'm just, I'm just blowing hard on this one here, right? Which is nothing, uh, I, I just, I think I chose the wrong option though. I almost think I need to start over because there was another option where you started off on that first board that was split and the barrels were coming from both sides and falling through the middle and everything and I think I screwed up and chose the wrong one. And I can't even get off of round one here which is, um, uh, you know, okay, come here. Damn it. Get up there, jackass. All right, here we go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Boom, oh, boom, 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 boom. Nintendo. Boom. Hey! Nintendo did do this. Well, they haven't done, like, an, a, a good update to Donkey Kong, I should say. No, no I, this, is not, the right, this is not the right order. All right, this is definitely not the right order of that. I don't know what I did wrong there on Donkey Kong uh, Remix. I, I could have sworn I chose um, Remix A. I'll try Remix B. I don't know. Right, there so actually gonna... was a Donkey Kong uh, 2 and a 3 before they went to all the 3D Donkey Kongs. Okay, so this this is the thing. It's, it is just a disc. It's not a directory. All right, we're going to try this one more time. See if I can not screw this up. Um, while we're on the subject of Donkey Kong, um, I, I don't think any list of Coco games would be complete without mentioning Donkey King. Donkey King, if there is a top 10... Donkey King should definitely be in it. Do we all agree on that? I would. Donkey and King, uh, written for the color computer, one and two, yeah. re requiring 32K. It was an um, incredible feat of software for the time. And we have John here, John, uh, John Linville. I don't know if he's here. He looks like he's here. Um, we, I don't think any uh, new Coco game should... Um, Discussion should be, you know, should forget Farfall because Farfall is definitely a very fun and a, an addictive game as well. Um, okay, see, so this says Remix A, Level Order Classic Remix B, Difficulty Normal, Difficulty Easy. Um, so I'll try Remix B this time. Let's see. Now that screen looks the same, but let's see when we start the game. Is John, are you there? John Linville? We see his face. 
Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I just heard you there. <laughs> here it is. Here's the remix screen. So it's remix order B. Okay. So this is a Donkey Kong remix screen. And they've completely changed the way the levels work. Changed the physics. You don't know which way the stinking barrels are going to fall. Oh, crap. I fell in the hole. I, and there, there's a reason why I don't have a YouTube video of me playing Donkey Kong Remix yet. And it's because I've never made it past this screen. <laughs> um, it, it takes a while. You have to almost run to the edge of that girder to jump across to the second one. Yeah, I have the hardware uh, for my Donkey Kong machine for that. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Definitely yeah. a nice upgrade. Have you got the one for the Donkey Kong Jr. remix too, John? Or no, I I, uh, I I haven't bought it partly because my Donkey Kong Jr. board isn't working. So mm. oh okay, <laughs> I need to that sounds like a legitimate excuse. So <laughs> sounds like a reason to get it fixed. <laughs> yeah, he's added a lot of levels. I think he's got like sixteen or seventeen levels. He's got bonus rounds, all kinds of stuff in that one. Oh, crap. Dude, dude, I can't climb up the ladders. These Tandy Deluxe joysticks. All right. I've never made it this high before. Oh, my God. Sweet Lord. All right. I have never made it past this freaking part of the board right now on Donkey Kong Jr. Remix. This is history in the making here right now. Wow. So, Finally, I don't know. If this worth playing <laughs> for you. I don't know what comes after this. <laughs> Okay, it took us more often. It took us straight to the uh, elevators. This is a different elevator, though. It's a different elevators, yes, because I can't jump up that high. Plus, you're starting over on the right, not on the yeah. Uh, I can't jump up that high. Wow. You got to go the other way. Almost seems like you got to go backwards before you can go forwards. The elevators are moving slower. Yeah, this would be interesting to see this on real hardware. I can't believe I made that jump there. I hardly yeah, ever I make that jump. I can't it either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. I just got face full of freaking jackaxe there. So, uh, jumping jacks, whatever those things are called. Very cool. All right. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2, sale price for Christmas, only at Radio Shack. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. Featuring hand-drawn, custom designs and pixel art by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. We've got the brand new official Coco Talk t-shirt, I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and all kinds of other cool video game and arcade related artwork. Check out 8bit256.com for all your retro swag needs today we will switch back to the skype call now that's cool that was definitely worth showing um donkey kong jr remix as requested by uh, one of barry nelson's daughters i don't remember which one it was i don't know if she's still in the call uh he's got 
we had a couple different requests. So Pegasus and the Phantom Rider was one of them, and Donkey Kong Remix was another one. Request. This is Bruce. Hey, Let's Bruce. Do How you doing? Hey, guys. Good, good. Um, I had a real uh, spooky experience with Phantom Slayer when I was a kid at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is Curtis uh, talks very highly about that game, too, and I had never played it before, and I think the first time I played it was during a live stream. And oh, yeah. Curtis was with me, but Curtis is watching it, uh, you know, like on a 10-second delay. So he's trying to help me in a non-timely manner. And that was my first experience playing it like about a year ago. But, yeah, he's told the story about – Curtis, you tell the story. I'll screw it up. Actually, then... I'll just put the post in here, and you can actually read it off. <laughs> it's too embarrassing for me to do it in person all the time. So Okay. <laughs> and I'll try to read it in my best Canadian accent, eh? <laughs> I was down in my basement, eh? <laughs> I just posted the link in Skype, and if you go to the very bottom of that page, I've got the story of that. All right. Uh, Nick, what, what voice do you recommend I use? Um, oh, Lord. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll pull this up. I'll on be this. back, eh? <laughs> Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman. I'll, Pee I'll Herman. I will throw my voice out if I do that. All right, so so here is here's uh, Curtis's article here. So this is Ken Kalish, the uh, the guy who made the game, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so this is your interview with Ken. Um, where do I get to the part where we have your embarrassing story, Curtis? The is very end. The, the very, very end. end. Is my little story. Okay. These are pictures. So here's a picture of of the phantoms themselves. Okay. Uh, the very very end. Okay. Is it the bottom part here? Yep. Okay. So this is this is Curtis's um, little story about about Phantom Slayer. Okay, and speaking of both Phantom Slayer and Knocked Out, I have a rather embarrassing story about playing that game. This would have been in late 1982 or early 1983. I was playing it downstairs in my parents' house. My Coco was hooked up to a huge old floor model TV, uh, and I had the volume cranked. I also had the room pitch black to help set the mood. I was having the best game I have had ever done. Um, and the score ended up being about 18.52 and had been playing for several hours. I had a pattern of long hallways and phantoms had fallen into rhythm of always coming in the same spot. So even though they were taking extremely large numbers of hits, I could still get them by running circle patterns. Um, at this exact time, the phantoms suddenly quit coming out of their normal spot. I tried running all over the place in my normal circular hallway pattern, trying to coax them out, but nothing worked. So I entered a corridor that I normally had not gone got had not normally gone down and just as the door to the rumpus room opened with my dad and Dwayne a phantom killed me after being so, <laughs> into the game for so long and with that terrible death sound you put in the game I literally fell off my chair onto the floor <laughs> from complete fright <laughs> it scared you off of your chair yes and this, literally. This, this prompted Dwayne to laugh and my dad um, to promptly ask, what the hell's wrong with you? That sounds like a dad question right there. <laughs> Son, were you, boy, I say, boy, you's about as sharp as a bowling ball right there, right? So <laughs> for a while, I thought it was just me, but at, at work here before the Coco 3 uh, that ran several. Okay, that's not Phantom, or is it still? Is that no, more no, Phantom? No, it's Phantom related. Too. Okay. So there was for, a modern gamer who plays like Doom and stuff saying, there's uh, no way an 8 uh, can okay. scare me. All right. Okay, so, so you're... So you're basically saying the game scared you so much it knocked you out of your chair and yes. then for a while you thought it was just me but at work here 
Um, one of the younger pro programmers named Jason, who's very much into Quake and Doom style games, claimed that there was no way that a game on a machine as primitive as the Coco could ever scare him after being used to 3D sound, etc. Um, he played the training mode for a few moments to get used to it and then started a real game, at which time Dwayne and I turned up the volume. He literally jumped when he died a minute or two later. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's cool. Um, I had a, I had a similar um, experience playing Dungeons of Daggereth too. So so we'll go ahead and we'll fire up Phantom Slayer, and I'll need you guys as my co-pilot because I'm still not that familiar with the game. Like I said, I played it one time in a live um, in a live stream with um, with Curtis via delay. Now this you one we cover that Bruce since I already talked a lot about my yeah. stupid experience with it. <laughs> you can be the co-pilot. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I said you can be the co-pilot because I already talked about my experience with the bullet oh, okay. co-pilot for Steve. <laughs> sure. I don't think he remembers how the proximity detector works. So, oh well, then he's dead. <laughs> and this one, I'll, this one I'll try to play on a Coco Three. That's encouraging. I, now the colors might be a little bit off because it's on a Coco Three. Yeah, you'd have to do an RGB command first or switch to composite mode. Ah, whatever. This is not bad. Or is it? It's actually kind of cool seeing the phantoms in gray. All right, so what do one. I do here? Select choose maze. One. Choose do one. one. Yeah, two is too hard. Yeah. Choose speed. Well, how quick do you want to die? Oh uh, yeah, exactly. I want to <laughs> die. I want to die slowly. <laughs> one. Okay. I think tree. I think T. There's no phantoms. Right. I think it's just yeah. a good use okay, of maze. Okay, so this is the, this is the. That. That's the layout of the... Okay, it's memorized. It's good. Turn right, turn left, go to the end, and then turn left again. Try and get to the top. Okay, so I'm navigating a 3D maze right now. Yeah. Left. Yeah. Oh, oh. No, not your dead. <laughs> I hear sure the sounds. The, uh, the default proximity. Oh! I got... You're sure gone. What's the uh, fire button? Is it space bar? Space bar. Can I shoot when there's nobody around? Yes, you can. Do I run out of ammo? No. So if I just want to do a practice, if I just want to do a practice shot, I pause between shots, as as Bruce just mentioned. Oh, there's like a cooldown period. Yeah. Actually, if you hold down the space bar, you'll see your sight flash, and when you let go, it fires a shot. Okay. Now there's no TA for turn around. Nope. Left twice or right twice. You can run backwards though. Okay. So I now the the only indication you have is um. I got him. I got him. Okay. Yeah, so you proximity detector, which I'll let Bruce explain. Yeah, yeah. How many squares away it'll start beeping? You, that's number keys one to six. I think. I think. And I set mine to five usually, so I get a good enough warning. So if I press number five, it's now going to beep when they're within five tiles away from me. Yeah. Even if they're on the other side of a wall. Yeah. Okay. So I just pressed five. Yeah, the colors look a little bit off, but they're not bad, actually. These actually look better than... I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going through a maze right now. What is the object to clear the maze? Can you pull up the map on demand here and see the overhead? Only if you get the green square and you can do it once. It'll teleport you back to the middle and you get to see the maze, including where the phantoms are, and there's never more than three in the maze at a time. Okay, I hear they're buzzing. Coming. I hear them. Can you guys hear the sound? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Run, Steve. Run, yeah, Forrest, run! From behind. Well, or they could be up here, too. 
I'm gonna turn down a side. What happened? Whoa! I just got shot in the back. He's above you. He's right He's behind you from the side. Yeah, okay, there see? was my map. He was following you around there. He was following me. Yeah, when you ran down the hallway there, and he's coming back for you. So the green uh, square, you see it on the top left there? Yeah. Yeah. If I, fi that, if I a, find that, that'll give me like a omnipotent view of the map. Yeah. And it'll also teleport you back to the middle so you actually can get out of trouble. You get charged when you run over it, and then you hit, I think it's the enter key to enact it, which means you can save yeah. it from when you're trapped, and then you can hit it and zap out temporarily. Very interesting. And at the beginning of the game, the Phantoms will take one to three hits to kill. And then as you get further and further, they take more and more. And I know that that one game that I mentioned when I fell off the chair there, I think I was up to 40 in some cases. All right, I'll try it one more time. It's cool. It's cool. Um, I, I think this would definitely... And I guess the maze gets randomized each time. Yes. Huh? You should try this... level two mazes. You want to see a complicated one. <laughs> I hear him. I turned up the volume just one notch. I don't know if it's going to help you guys. I think part of the experience of this, and I had, I no, so for me, I didn't die, sucker. He got me. I couldn't fire fast enough, huh? I used to have this experience playing like Doom 2, but again, that was a 90s game, you know, but I used to play Doom 2 like in the dark with the stereo speakers. Let's try level two, Mace, and see. Um, you can definitely get immersed in a game, and... Um, Curtis definitely gave his version of that story. Um, Set your proximity detector, Steve. To five, like? And then run like hell. <laughs> run to the hills. All right. Uh, die, you mutant scum. I got him. Keep moving. What are the phantoms? They're phantoms. Bad guys. <laughs> oh, I know they're the bad guys, but is there a story to it? You know, explaining what they are or what their purpose is. Well, you're going through space, and then there's this maze. Oh, wait. Going through space. No, you're talking about Temple of Rome. Space games are in. <laughs> yeah. Oh crap! There was two of them right there. Hey, have you got your Coco Three yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rome and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here. And if you're listening to Coco Talk, chances are you're interested in the Color Computer. If you'd like to find out more about the Color Computer, then visit my Coco Links page at imacoconut.com. There you will find communities, podcasts, YouTube channels, project sites, blog sites, hardware, software, buy, sell, trade, you name it. So for all things Color Computer, visit amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, coconut.com, and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. <laughs> no fair, two phantoms. I'm calling hacks on that. That's, so that's level two. So level two is a harder game. That's cool. Well, level two, actually, I don't know if you selected that properly, because level two gives you a maze of so many twists and turns and really short hallways. Hmm. And level three speed is really fast. They come after you. You can only get one or two shots off. Well, they definitely did seem to move a little faster. Um, yeah, I, I think that's 
that game definitely I could see have experiencing those emotions. But for me, I think if there was a Coco game that did that, it was definitely Dungeons of Daggereth. Um, uh, definitely got you, you know, intensely invested. Um, the thing about Dungeons of Daggereth, not only is it the the style of game and what you're dealing with, but the the heartbeat of that game. Yeah. I don't ever remember um, another game like that that you had that indicator of your health and you were somehow subconsciously linked to that where your adrenaline was really tied into the the game too you know um and you talk about you know you can look at it now and say it's primitive but it was a pretty intense game it was kind of really cool idea because you could hear things before you could see them so you had a sense of the the realism of where you were in this three-dimensional world, you could hear things moving around. Unfortunately, we didn't have stereo back then, so it would be really cool if they were stereo panned where you could hear them either to the left or to the right or uh, some positional audio. But the fact you could hear the volume where you knew how far away they were, you could hear things coming and you could see them coming at a distance. There was definitely a sense of um, fear, I think, as a kid playing that game. And that there's definitely, we'll just say, intensity to that game. Um, if if we had to create a top ten, I would say Dungeons of Daggerath definitely is in the top three color computer one and two games. It would have to be of of classic games. Now now it's hard it's hard because there's there's current modern games too. So it's you know you have to get a little bit more specific now in in the scope of what you want to you know talk about. You know, but what you, everyone's favorite is is relative. It's such a relative term. What's your favorite color computer game? My favorite game isn't going to be you know uh, you know. Some it's people will probably yeah, and there's different genres. Like, what was that game, Gamuku Raguki or whatever the hell it was called? It was uh, <laughs> I don't even know what it was, but I never got into like card games or board games or strategy games on the Coco. I would much rather play a shoot 'em up, a beat 'em up, an action. You know, that was just what I was interested in. To, you know, one thing I should mention about Daggerath too is that it's actually one of the few games that got ported from the Coco to the PC afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was popular enough that they ported it to the PC. Not only the PC, but it's on Android now too. And, and you want to talk about just taking the challenge and the frustration to another level. It's hard enough typing AL and M space R and M space B on a real keyboard. Now try doing it on a freaking touchscreen keyboard. It's like, forget <laughs> it. You just, that's, that's the definition of insanity right there, playing Daggerath on a virtual keyboard. Does it work uh, with the microphone so you can just say out loud? Yeah. <laughs> Siri, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, move, 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 move. <laughs> Hey, uh, this is Bruce here. If I could just make one more little plug about uh, Phantom Slayer, though. Yeah, it's, go ahead. It's the, uh, I think why I like that game so much is because of the particular experience. Sim I had a very similar one to uh, Curtis there. It was uh, Christmas time. I was at my friend Glenn's house, and his parents were out, and we had the, it was dark. And then he left the room to go to the bathroom, and he was gone for five, ten minutes. And I'm there, and the, the volume's cranked. And sure enough, I think it's the fact you, you, you turn the corner and it's too late, and that great big gets yeah, there. I went, yeah. I went through the roof. <laughs> I went through the roof and it's like I love this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Ken Kalish um, was the master of sound. Every single one of his games just had really unique and interesting sounds, and they were. Ken Kalish sounds were very much like his own signature, like, you yeah. know, Picasso painting. You could just tell the style of the art by the artist. His sounds were so distinctive and so... And he designed them that way. If you read the interview, he actually okay. gets into this philosophy over the sound. Um, he's 
like he designed those sounds specifically, you know, as he said, the one in Famsler, he wanted to hit your reptilian brain is how he put it. Reptilian brain. I love that term there. Yeah. You know, Curtis, I found that uh, probably 10 years ago or so, I found your interview and I, before I'd gotten back into the community and I, oh, I was so pleased to read that. Like, you know, my favorite, most impacting game and to read yeah. from the office. Is yeah. Ken still around? Is anybody in touch with him? I haven't or? talked to him since... Uh, I talked to him a little bit after the interview. Um, he's not into computer as much. He was doing um, sort of volunteer programming work now for charities yeah. and stuff last I'd heard, but I haven't talked to him in a while. Okay. Cool. But I think it's also one of the very first real-time 3D shooters on any platform. Yeah. Because it came out in the summer of 82. Okay. I think Dagrath is copyrighted 82, but I don't think it was released until the end of the year or maybe even early 83, if I remember. Okay. Okay. Now, we have in chat, um, Glenn Hewlett mentioned he got a, a sealed copy of Dungeons of Dagrath at the last Coco Fest. I got a couple last year as well, too. I actually got two of them. Um, last year, when I went for my first time, I was picking up stuff for all kinds of people. So, like, I was picking up stuff for Michael Brandt, who I had not met yet, and I was picking up stuff for Vince Tran. And so I saw these, I thought somebody might want one, and I went ahead and grabbed both of them. And it turns out, I thought Vince might want one because Vince was having me look for certain cartridges. Um, and it turns out he didn't want it. So I've got two Daggerath sealed in the plastic, and I'm not complaining about that at all. They're, they're nice things to have, you know. Um, okay, Fedor saying I got to go. Yeah, what time is it for you, Fedor, in, uh, in uh, Denmark? He's he's five hours ahead. Yeah. So for Fedor right now, it's 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 almost yeah, midnight. It's almost, almost midnight. 1 it's 1 oh, that's right. One a.m. because you don't have the daylight savings crap we have. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, we do. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it's almost one a.m. I think. And Fedor, right. I know you said you've got not a specific game, but do you yeah. have a couple that you can mention that you? Oh, really I couldn't. I couldn't decide. There's so many games. There, there's one game that has a very special place in my heart. But it's a crappy game. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? But it's 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 the first game that I bought for my Coco, and it was you know I can still remember it. It's it's called it's it's Pengon, you know. Pengon. I've been trying to do that yeah. video for you, and I can't find a clean copy without distortion. I w oh. whenever I can find that, I'm gonna make that for you, Fedor. Okay. Yeah. Uh. I can send you. I think my copy is the copy I have is pretty. Um, Pretty clean. The, yeah, because the copy I have, the characters start to distort as they're moving. The animation tiles are like broken up into pixels. It's this. It just looks crappy. Uh, I think I even. No, that's a that's a actually a very think, fun game. Yeah, maybe I even have the cassettes, original cassettes. Yeah. I'm covered over here. <laughs> that is. Uh, that's basically that's a clone. Coco stuff here. Oh, he's going to get it. Yeah, it's a clone of a Sega arcade game that was called Pengo. And the um, the I, I actually because what I did is I pulled up on Mame I pulled up the original arcade game too because I didn't realize what some of the game mechanics are. I guess there's these things that are like diamonds. You can grab diamonds. Um, no, I'm hearing myself now. He must have unplugged his headphones. No, I can hear you. Yeah, you can hear me, and I can hear myself twice now. Shit, sorry. I don't know what's going on. It's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we, give him a break. If we, yeah, it's one a.m. It's one a.m. Give the man a break. Um, if we can find a clean copy of that, I definitely want to record that video for for Fedor. He requested that a while ago, and I've been trying to um, to get that going. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to do a Pango clone because there's a few others like Ice Master and, and is there? Warehouse Mutants and a few others that are clones as well. Okay, we're not smell a showcase in our future, Curtis. 
Okay. <laughs> now that you got a micro, yeah. Now that you got a microphone, that's not all bassy. <laughs> What's wrong with bass? He's all about that all bass. About that, about that bass. No travel. Um, yeah, we could go on for for hours about. So I'll tell you what my first Coco game was that I actually owned. It was Caterpillar Attack by Tom Mix Software. Um, I don't remember exactly who gave it to me, but somebody gave me a cassette copy of that game. So when I bought my first Coco, which only had a cassette player, that was my first piece of software. I didn't have a cartridge. I didn't have a floppy for at least a year. So I was playing a cassette game. I think I purchased things like Pyramid and a few of the text adventures on tape. And, um, and, and, and honestly, that was also one of the motivational factors for me to get a color computer was the text adventures because around the same time I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends and that was a game where you used your imagination or you know there was you know you just thought about where you were you imagined where you were so I looked at those text adventures as kind of like a single player uh, role-playing game in a sense you know because with Dungeons and Dragons you needed a handful of friends to play and so this was a way to kind of play offline solo so it was kind of like the text adventures and a few other things like that that kind of prompted me to want to get a computer instead of like a, a game console for example um, and my first actual game I owned I'm pretty sure was Caterpillar Attack <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first two I had they were radio shot cartridges I mean other yeah. than typing in ones from the book um, Actually, the Blackjack game in the original Color Basic manual actually wasn't bad for a 4K game. But the first two I ever owned was uh, Project Nebula and Skiing. Great game, and Project I, Nebula. I still like those to this day. They're, they're yeah. both pretty good, especially for the time period. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anything that looked and reminded me of Star Wars was definitely uh, good in my book. You know, the fact that the, the spaceships look like TIE Fighters was, was, was a plus, you know. I, I think I remember having a setup too. So I had a I had like this little dresser thing where the door would come down and it was like a tray and I had my TV inside the dresser. I had so I had my cocoa in there. So I, I made this makeshift cockpit. So like I'm sitting in a cockpit and I have my two joysticks on the side of the screen. And I also had this um, toy spaceship where you moved it around and like it made sound as you moved it around. And it kind of like sounded like the opening to uh, Van Halen's eruption. If you know that, so it was like a this spaceship. So I would move that thing around and make sounds as I was pretending like I was moving faster and moving my joysticks and stuff. And I had this full geek cockpit I created to play that game. So I'm going to talk about falling out of a chair, embarrassing. This is probably worse. I think your dad would come in and say, what the hell am I doing too here with my... <laughs> well, that same chair when I was playing Project Nebula, it was a big armrest chair. I actually taped the joysticks on either side, and it was a big cushy thing, so you'd lean back like the captain's chair on the Enterprise and <laughs> have your two joysticks taped to the chair there so you could control your yeah. speed and flying around. So. And when, when I was a kid, that was my virtual reality, damn it. Exactly. I didn't even need a helmet. <laughs> I had a helmet, but it was for a completely different reason. <laughs> and I had a coat with no arms, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> that is something but else. But you've seen if you've played uh, Bedlam. Right. Great game, too. Actually, that's a good question for other guests. So, like, uh, we just rattled off the two, you know, the fir very first games we ever owned on the Coco. I'm just wondering what is everybody else's first one that you actually bought? One of my games I bought was uh, Double Back. Ah, great game. Uh, yep, yep. I had that one, too. Yep. That was, that's one of my favorite games. That, that actually is. 
the problem is is that you're, you're trying to go back into 35 years of memories you know but definitely that would be one of my personal favorites fun game yep. how about nick what was the first coco game you ever owned um probably puyen puyen i'm sorry <laughs> no, it was, it's a good game actually i just suck at it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Fedor says, favorite games, as he said. Okay, Pengon was his first game, but it's a bit crappy. I don't think it's crappy, though, Fedor. Next in line is Puyin and Invader's Revenge. Very cool. Classic. Cool, cool titles. Um, Puyin. Puyin's actually a really good game. It's a very good arcade game on the Coco. I've tried playing it. versions to show you, the two color sets? Uh, yeah, the... let me do that. I'll Just switch over. The colors. Uh, let's do that. Let's go back to the Coco 3. All right. John Lindell <laughs> says chess. Chess. Which version? Which, yeah, which, which chess? <laughs> okay. So we're going to go to the Color Computer 2 version of Puyan first. And prepare to um, uh, block your ears, too. So um, it's a noisy one. Uh, -da -da -da, shift M to mount. Here's my Puyan bin. This Coco Explorer. The colors look a little bit off on this one because it is a Coco 3. Alright, now I'm going to probably just do the keyboards. But this is, um... This game used the P-Mode 3 mode with the white background and the, um, what I like to call eye vomit color palette where you had like orange and purple and green and just colors that just weren't meant to go together in nature. And they all put them on the same screen here. And um, and I just lost one dude. Acid pastel is what I use. Yeah, right. But ironically, for the for these not being the great collection of colors, this game did a good job of using them in a way. Like for example, they're using white as the um, character color, and it works very well. I actually like this game a lot. I think this game does a heck of a fine job with sprites. Does a heck of a great job with the polyphonic music. You know, this was a um, DataSoft game. Every game that came out of DataSoft was a, you know, it was an, a AAA title, commercial quality, had every bell and whistle you could want, you know. So um, there were certain companies where they had like that name brand recognition. You knew if they released it, it was going to not be basically crap in a box like some games you might get, you know. We were limited to looking at a picture in a magazine. And um, hoping that the game that we got lived up to <laughs> what, and that, that picture was often a drawing. <laughs> it wasn't a picture of the actual game. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroke. Are you ready? Forest of Doom. Um, what was the other version you had? Uh, that's what I'm looking for. I have, I, I have, I have, I have. That wasn't a, the original Coco Two color set. No, well, because I think it's because I'm playing it on a Coco Three. I don't think I have the right SD card in here. Um, 
I'll try it again. I have I have two different Puyans, and so there was another one I had that's called Puyan I in there, and I don't know what the heck that one. So when I go to PO, because um, it's but meant to have that ugly magenta background, mm, something like that. But it is. Um, I think some of these colors on the Coco Three because I'm not typing in composite. Oh, look at that. I have a question on the Coco SDC. Does it have a default for the monitor type? Because the Coco Three defaults to composite mode. And I'm wondering this, if because you're kicking right into it, it's just putting the yeah. composite colors even if you're on RGB. Because just add RGB in the auto exec file. Yeah, we'd have to do that. Anyways, I don't know how to get back to it. All right. Well, it's going to be too much work for me to try to find the other ver the other SD card that has the um, that has the patch color computer three version on there. The patch the color computer three version definitely looks a heck of a lot better. I just don't know where that SD card is right now. I'd have to hunt for it. I have another Coco SDC somewhere, but my room is in a state of uh, rebooting and and stuff right now. Um, it was a good game though, definitely. Um, <laughs> Richard says it sounds like the ice cream truck is coming down the street. <laughs> Glenn Hewlett says my first games were cartridges were pinball and bust out. Also pyramid. I've never gotten very far on pyramid. One day dot dot dot. Right? So yeah. <laughs> I think that's on all of our lists. And John uh, Lidville mentioned in the Skype chat that chess I think was his first cartridge. The original chess yes. fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a nerdy kid. I guess we all probably were, but I was really playing chess by myself with my computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy, I was so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think you mentioned in one of your interviews that then you discovered girls, right? So. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. yeah. At a chess tournament, I heard. But uh, poltergeist too. Okay, Richard talks about poltergeist being a good one. Huh? Yeah, I will second that nomination. Poltergeist was interesting. It was interesting that it was kind of like a first-party, licensed title of a game that only existed on the color computer. Like it wasn't in the arcade. It wasn't ported anywhere. It wasn't on any other system. So we had the only video game adaptation of a major motion picture. So that's a kind of a cool accolade and it's a halfway decent game yep it's one of, it's one of the ones that tandy released that actually had a pretty nasty bug that they didn't discover oh yeah first level if you hold down the joystick button the cars don't come out oh yeah 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 that's true yeah yeah and i'm pretty that... sure it was programmed by robert arnstein who's the same guy who did pyramid and and bedlam and racket okay. and project nebula and a few others too so that's interesting he's not officially credited huh. Yeah, that's a neat game. So that... Mark... Go ahead, John. Uh, say that the, again. There was a, uh, speaking of movie uh, title games that became movie titles or movies that became games. <laughs> According to Mark Siegel, there was talk of having a Goonies game for the Coco. Oh wow! Um, which he at uh, some of hand because he did a ridiculous game. Hmm. Of course, he's the one that approved Poltergeist. So yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> Well, the Goonies made their way to the arcade and to the NES eventually as a platformer. It would have been interesting to see what we would have gotten. Uh, uh, that's yeah, that's an interesting I, little side story there. That's cool. 
Yeah, I would like to have seen what Goonies would have ended up in on the Coco or, or, or especially on the Coco 3. It might have actually been pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Was it? Do you know if it was from the Coco 1, 2 era or the Coco 3? Uh, I don't recall from talking to him. I think it was later in the run, so probably the Coco 3, but I'm not 100%. It was a game by Datasoft. Mm, Beam Rider Fedor brings up. Yeah, Beam Rider's a, a cool game. Yeah, that's a pretty cool game. Unique one, a very unique gameplay. Yeah, yeah, until you had mentioned um, that there was a game called Electric Crayon, because I had never heard of it. I thought that was an original game on the Coco, because I had never seen anything like that. Um, very yeah, it wasn't cool a game. hugely popular arcade game, but... Right, right, right. Is that worth pulling up? Should I pull up Meme Rider? Sure. It's a nice, simple uh, one. Yeah, okay, Fedor just gave that one two Wait, thumbs Fedor's up. Wait, staying up to almost two in the morning here. Come, Come on, on Fedor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm falling apart. <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been really hot. It's been a long day. All right, sorting directory. B-E. Beam. I love this Coco SDC and the SDC Explorer, I must say. Shameful plug. Okay. And here we go. Beam Rider High Scores. Spectral Ass Associates. Okay, here we go. So this this composite screen here that looks horrible. Though. I don't know how it looks for you guys. I'm looking right at it and it looks like crap. Alright, so my job is to pick up all of the blue squares. I'm this yellow circle guy here. And as long as I am eating, kind of like Pac-Man, I can eat these conjoined squares that are still touching each other. And while I do that, I can move very fast. Once you run out of these squares, you start to move slower. And then he kind of draws a line to the next available area. Can I do anything with my fire button? I don't remember. Not that I recall. I can't. See, now I'm, in, now I'm in open air. And when you're in open air, you move very slowly. And there's a bunch of bad guys bouncing around. If you, Now that I'm moving in open air, if I find uh, something off to the side and I move in that direction, he shoots like a, a tether and pulls you across so you move a little bit faster. Um, the object is to kind of clear the screen of all the doohickeys. And I just ran into a bad guy. I just blowed up by bouncing into that red uh, yeah. face bad guy there. You can run over the spinny things, the yellow and blue spin things. Those you can okay. run over, but I think they eventually turn into a, a bad guy. And the little red head will actually track you the whole time, so him okay. will follow you around. So he is he's a guy with a purpose. Okay, yeah, I just ate that thing there, whatever that was. Okay, and that just gave me invincibility. Oh, and I can beat him up. Oh, while the screen is flashing. Yeah, while the screen is flashing, I have superpower, kind of like the Pac-Man power pellet, I guess. Um... Yeah, no, neat game. Like I said, when I saw this game, I thought it was 100% original. Um, but gosh, there were so many games in the arcades going back to like, you know, 77 or so is when arcade games first started coming out. So it's hard to know what everything was. Um, get, get out of my face. It is an interesting little effect the way the guy moves, too. It kind of looks like he's stretching as he moves, you know? Um, and then, and this is kind of a neat arrangement of the playing field too, how it takes these little blue blocks that you want to get and then just kind of moves them around. So yeah, definitely a neat game. Beam Rider, Spectral Associates. And it's hard for me to think of a bad Spectral Associates game right now. Uh, none come to mind. I'm sure there might've been a, a miss or two, but there were certainly a lot of hits with Spectral Associates games. Some of their very, very early ones, like 81 when they did in basic, probably, you know, by later standards were not that good but a lot of the uh, early companies saw mix too 
in yeah. the earliest days actually did release basic games because people were still learning the machine. Right, 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 right. But I come to think of most of the Spectral Associates titles, even going back to like Microbes, you know, being pretty good. And, um, uh, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's time goes by. It's hard to remember. It's like the things you think you remember, you know, like I just, uh, you know, you think about like a shed you had in the backyard when you were a kid. It seems so big. And you look at it years later. It's like, oh, my God, that thing's a box. You know, I just, I remember living inside that thing. So I think time has a way to distort memories and, and stuff like that too but um that was a cool game um you know there were there were games because when i had my coco i think a lot of us we were probably young and had limited cash flow so i was fortunate enough to where you know a lot of our a lot of the games you got you got copies from people you know which is you know you look what's the word for it now it's piracy it's software counterfeiting it's it's you know but it's listen we didn't invent it it was around um there were a lot of games that you got that you were lucky enough that you got a copy of but there were certain games that you wanted so bad and especially if it was on a cartridge before we knew how to copy cartridges too um what would be some games where you saw that cartridge and you said you know what i'm gonna pony up my 40 bucks and just buy this for me, Dungeons of Dagareth was definitely one of those titles. Anybody got that? I had to buy it and have it right away game. Farfall. Farfall, yes. <laughs> Farfall. Uh, that's true for me. I pre-ordered my Farfall. <laughs> I pre-ordered before Coco Fest. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who else had something to say there? Cavewalker. Cavewalker. That was the you, David Ladd? Yep. Now, was that on cartridge or was that on disc? Because that's an OS9 yes. game, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, I have, um, I bought Pegasus and the Phantom Rider. I bought that. That was on disc. I bought Ghana Buana. Um, that was on disc. Um, you know, there, the, anything, and there wasn't much, but anything that took advantage of the speech sound pack was a must-have for me. So I purchased most of those. So I had probably the Pitfall 2s, the Ghana Buanas. Uh, Downland, John Robb says, yeah, Downland, great game. I should probably pull that game up. Um, great title. Uh, Dungeons of Daggerath, hands down, had to have it. Um, yeah. You know, we live in a time now where video games are hyped up so much that you know about the game, you know, well ahead of time. And now the uh, games are pretty much franchises. You know, like like one of the things Rick Adams said in his keynote. You know, Final Fantasy 15 must not have been that final. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there are games that are on, you know, being done and redone, and you know about them. And, and it's a big common thing now to pre-order games. You know, like go to GameStop and buy the game before it comes out. I don't think we really had pre-order back in the Coco games. And I don't know, was there? Did Rainbow talk about games before they were out? Like, did we know a game was going to be released ahead of time or anything? Rarely. Yeah. Usually that meant the game was behind schedule. Oh, okay. But Contras was advertised for, you know, a year or two before it actually finally okay. got released. Yeah. Um, but, like, I get I get the Game Informer magazine every month because I have a GameStop membership. I'm not trying to brag or anything, just saying. But, uh, you know, Game Informer will talk about games that are coming out, and you have an interest. Like, I'm a Tomb Raider fan, so I was interested in when the new Tomb Raider game was going to come out six months before it was released, you know. And then you, it's like a movie. You get the teaser trailers of the game before it's released and things like that. So game promotion now is a whole different animal um you know and even uh, on the coco it is i mean if you look at the blogs that john did with firefall and nick true, did with pop star true that's 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 what we have now i guess on the newer games but yeah. there wasn't there wasn't much of that back in the 80s and 90s i'd take it no 
No, people wanted to surprise people, and and also you didn't want to let competitors know I'm cloning this game, so you know don't. Somebody else might beat you to the punch. Yeah, I mean it still happened. I mean, Donkey Monkey and Donkey King got released within a month month of each other, as an example. So right, right, right. I remember when we were preparing for that interview, we read the Rainbow article, and I think they said something to the point: it's it only suffers by the fact that it has to be compared to yes. Donkey, <laughs> Donkey King, King, but on its own, it's not a bad game. You know, but but it's because they both came out roughly around the same time. Um, that can happen. But there were certain games that were just so popular, everybody like how many Space Invader clones were there? Dozens of Space Invader clones, yeah. dozens of Pac-Man clones. You know, there were certain Tetris. games. Tetris, yeah, John says. Somebody says Sokoban. That's Michael Brandt there. What the hell is Sokoban? That's a puzzle game where you got to move the gold bars and you have to do them in a certain order and going through the maze in a certain method so you don't get trapped and stuck. Hmm. And you have to put them all into the finishing part. And there's multiple, multiple levels of it. There's the cartridge version, which also is one of those fat binaries that does use some extra colors and stuff on the Coco 3. And there's also an OS 9 version where you could actually edit your own mazes too. Hmm. Invader's Revenge. That's the second mention of Invader's Revenge there. You know, you can use your words too, Fedor, since you're in the call. You don't necessarily have to just type it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to interfere in this discussion. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. okay. We're, Invader's we're, Revenge. Yes, we're quite used to stepping on each other's toes here. It's, it's, part, it's part of the allure. <laughs> Somebody, who, put that in, who put that in the chat somebody said a tasty bakery at the mall Sokoban is that like cinnamon, Cinnabon Sokoban yeah. <laughs> a tasty bakery I prefer hot Sokoban myself yeah, but. Right? oh what, what should I pull up on the screen if anything is there a game that we really want to see or you think Cavewalker ha- screw Cavewalker yeah. <laughs> how about we look at how about we look at some of the OS9 games as well? <laughs> Downland. Oh, no, Isn't that what I just said? <laughs> <laughs> You've been drinking. <laughs> 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 the hell's wrong with you, son? This I'm gonna, isn't I need to, what we OS9 this time. This is promoting it. Yeah. yeah. We need to get we need to get Curtis's dad in here saying, "What the hell is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> Were there any games on the OS9? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there was one Interbake Incident. Interbank Rescue incident. Yeah, where's uh, Richard still oh, in the call? Um, Battle Simulator, Microsoft Mission, Rogue, Police um, Quests. Yeah, all the Sierra Police games. Quest, yeah. Steve is here. Is Steve anyone, Steve Batson. Rescue and Fractalus. I tried it once. <laughs> you didn't know any of the controls. I didn't. So I didn't yeah, because yeah, yeah. It, it's like yeah, because when Curtis says, you know, if you read that interview, the first thing I was thinking was read. <laughs> <laughs> I was good. Steve. Quite a bit. I'm a video guy. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, that, that's another thing too. Is that in the old days, the, you know, you not, not only was the game on something physical, but you usually got a book, a manual with the game. You know, and a lot of times, like, what is a good example of the manual? If you look at Ganabuana, it's a comic book. You know what I mean? And they actually got an artist from Marvel Comics to do that. And a lot of times the books not only told you how to play the game, but there was a story woven through the manual too. So there was a little bit of creativity and, and a work of fiction was involved in the game manual. Um, 
We don't have game manuals anymore. We don't have paper anymore. We, we barely have games on plastic. Like I got for my birthday, I got uh, for the Xbox Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like an episodic game. And when you pop in the disc, all it does is basically start downloading the episodes off the internet. So there's not even a game on the disc and there's no manual to the game. What they do now is new games have like a tutorial that kind of walks you through the game mechanics and the controls. So your first hour or so in any new game is the manual and the game itself teaches you how to play the game that's a different shift in how things go too is that you know when you just when you look at how things have gone digital um, look at what we used to have like think about like Mozart and and the classical musicians we still know about their music because it was put on paper you know we still know about you know Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and we can still appreciate their music because there was something physical left behind we can collect retro cartridges or something physical left behind all these digital games now you know like 90% of what's on my Xbox one is is a digital download what am I gonna be able to show somebody 30 years from now about my retro Xbox you know yeah. You just don't now, one have thing that about thing. the old manuals I don't miss is when they used to have those ones to help prevent piracy. Turn to page forty-two and type oh in this code. yeah, yeah. Like Grand yeah. Prix by Intracolor actually had that, and it was this huge thing. It was on red paper, so it wouldn't Xerox well, mm. and it was like forty pages of these random numbers and stuff, and you had to turn to whatever to yeah. fire it up. Some of the Sierra Online games were like that too. Turn to page 40, paragraph 3, word 5, you know, and you had to pull that crap up. I remember a game on my Tandy 1000 that actually had a wheel. It had like two or three different levels to the wheel, and you and you had to match up shapes and symbols in this wheel and read off a code inside that freaking decoder wheel. Um, it's just insane. Like that too. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a different form. Because I guess they figured people are going to copy the discs. That's easy to copy. But it was back then maybe a little bit harder to copy books because not, you know, photocopiers weren't everywhere. Um, and that costs money. Um, and they would do we, on red, dark red paper. Dark red paper that's harder to copy. Big black smudge. So. Yeah, true. True, true, true. Kind of like on the checks now. The checks have that counterfeiting measure where if you yeah, photocopy a check. This is pre-colored Xeroxing, which would have solved the problem. but. Mm hmm yeah interesting we had a few people mention grabber and saying grabber was a cool game and grabber had uh, good music that's probably worth pulling up grabber in here too which i do agree that was relatively unique can any can you think of a game that grabber was a clone of is it it's safe not. to say that was fairly it, it's, original it's very loosely based on pac-man i guess or cave hunter from the coco one early days but that's about the closest ones i can think of and the whole, the whole thing with Grabber that made it kind of unique is you had two mazes that are simultaneous and you actually jump between them and you can see a little box showing where you are in the other maze. So you can actually take shortcuts through what would be through a wall by quickly jumping to the other maze, going through the open space, and then jumping back. Yep. And this is one of the games where, like... Is it red or is it blue? It kind of doesn't matter. You know, it's like, what 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 color is that guy supposed to be? Is he supposed to be red or blue? I always blue. played with him red, but I don't know if that's right. Right. Now, how do you pronounce Mike's last name? Mike Huey? Huey, yeah. Huey. And Mike has made a, a handful of games. Did he make the Draconian game, too? Yes. Okay. He so he is pretty famous for games that feature interesting music as well. Um, and, and the music that he uses is um, fairly a little bit more common. It's what I call like the organy style music that was in a lot of Coco games, kind of the high pitch. Where, which freaking joystick am I using now, dude? Uh, I don't even know. I got two joysticks here. Actually, the music stops. So I think it's crashed. You might have the cassette version of it. It was on the Coco SDC, but maybe it's not meant for a Coco 3. 
Uh, it should run the Coco 3, but it, there is a cassette version of it around that will crash eventually. Hmm. Uh, there's a disc version that uh, is specifically for disc. Well, I, I don't. Whatever I have on the SD that came with my Coco SDC is what I'm working with right now. So we'll try it one more okay. time. Um, okay. I okay. There's one that's called GR2. Do you know what that is? Is that Gold Runner 2000? Or? Okay, that might be. Okay. So we'll try this one more time. Shoot. Okay. GR Grabber Shift M Grabber Bin. I don't know if it's if it's going to crash again. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, let it go. As far as I know, the only Coco One Two game that had full polyphonic music in the background while the game is playing without requiring extra hardware to do. Hey everybody, this is Bill Noble, co-author of Nitrous Nine. You are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk show. Radio Shack Storewide Manager's Red Tag Sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness. To get your very own gameplay goodness DVDs featuring color computer games played by the original gamer Stevie Stroh, visit 8bit256.com and grab yourself a Coco Gaming DVD today. That's 8bit256.com for all of your gameplay goodness needs. Mike Huey, how many players? One player. Yeah, it froze. Yeah, okay, so that's probably the cassette one. Okay. Not a lot There's we can a do YouTube about that. There's a called Rymail you could use that might work on it, but we'll leave that for another day. Not a lot we can do about that. But yeah, I've got a video of that. Farfall is great, Michael Brandt says. <laughs> Shameful plug right there, right? So, um... So yeah, let's 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 shift on for a minute and let's talk about some of the newer games um, because that is an interesting discussion all into itself right now. Like um, some of the most recent recent ones that I've become familiar with uh, have been in the past like two years, like leading up to like last year's Coco Fest. So you know, John Linville had a handful of titles like Far Fall, Follow Coco, Christmas Rush. Uh, John Strong had uh, Bomb Squad. I want to make sure I get the Bomb title correctly, which is a new title from last year. Um, those are some of the most recent ones. And then, of course, Nick Morentis' Pop Star Pilot, who's with us now. And we actually have all three of the n new generation Coco authors with us by complete coinkydink. Um, and, and so it's kind of cool that Color Computer Games are still being made. And y y at least now we have the benefit of history and hindsight to say if I could have done then what I know now what would I do differently um, and you know like the, the ability to develop games is is now a lot easier with like, John Strong has his own development tools he's wrote his, he's wrote himself there are cross compilers there's things like LW tools where you can assemble on a PC port it to the Coco Nick Morentis doesn't do that though because he's totally old school um, but you still have other um, 
ways to make your life a little bit easier even. And and I think the only thing you did technically to cheat, Nick, was you used a Amiga, which is still a retro system, to do some of your artwork. But then other than that, everything was done and typed in on a, on a real physical Cocoa, right? Yeah, although I, I, I had the Amiga back then as well. Right, 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 right. So it, and, it is all uh, retro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even that's a retro system. So, so you chose to, um, you know, say I'm going to do this as old school as possible. I'm going to do it the way, uh, the only way possible in the old school days. Well, the only way I know. <laughs> the only way you know, right? Can't teach uh, an old dog new tricks. It's just right? like I need to find my other because because we're talking about Popstar too. We we should probably show off some of these new games. I wish I knew where the hell here it is. Okay. All right, I found my other SD card, my other Coco SDC. I don't think that one is set to completely auto boot. I think that's the first one I tried to upgrade when I was learning how to upgrade. That was my my test system. Um, but I do have, although I can't show off Farfall because I'm running a Coco three right now. Um, I do also have John Strong's cartridge. I could show off um, Bomb Squad too. Um, so we're going to do things in, back in the old days before we had the um, before we had the Coco SDC Explorer. Uh, I think it's just Nick is the name of your... And one mm. little side note while you're loading this up here, too. I think all three of the games you just mentioned, Firefall, Popstar Pilot, and Bomb Threat... Squad. Well, Squad. I did it. <laughs> um, all had some fairly unique things that hadn't been done before. Um like Farfa, I think, is one of the very few, if not the only, Coco 1 2 cartridge actually uses the double speed ROM poke. Is that correct? I don't know if John's there to answer that or not. Let's just, let's just go ahead and say yes. Let's be bold. <laughs> and say it is and the then first John game. Strong's is the first one to use the high res joystick software routines that don't require the high res joystick interface. I would also say it's probably the first one to use a multicolor 3D printed case as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention um, uh, the fact that, and here it is, here's Popstar. Let me, um, now that I have Popstar well, up, I'm going to go back and I'm going to grab some of these other games that we're talking about. So you guys keep talking. I'll be right back. Well, the other unique thing is uh, it wasn't the first and the recent to be ROM cartridge, but I think it was the first Coco 3 specific. ROM cartridge, you know, quite a yes, number of years. Days. Yeah. And then Nick, of course, I mean, Popstar has a few things that are fairly unique to it, like the, the palette driving in the background to do some of the special effects. And then uh, if you get to the level five, there's more than 16 colors on the screen, too. So, yeah, a few Amiga inspired special effects. I'm going to switch to full camera here for just one second because I also forgot to mention I, I got I got focused on last year, but let's jump into this year. This year, the latest game for the Coco that I'm aware of is Flood It by Evan Wright. And this is a game that he ported that's, I guess, on mobile systems and other systems. So this is a brand new cartridge that was available at the 2016 Coco Fest. This cartridge takes advantage of... Um, some of John Linville's um, pre-packaging uh, things that he has. So he's got some of these nice red boxes here. Um, uh, John Linville and a few other people went in. I think it was Mike Rowan in Boise. Possibly John can correct me. But they have produced now brand new um, 
red plastic injection molded cartridges. These are also available if anybody wants to put something on a cartridge. Now, it's never been easier now for somebody to make a game and put a game on a cartridge and distribute it in a physical ROM format. So this is this is the Farfall cartridge. This was my pre-release one. When John was boxing these up last year for Coco Fest, I said, dude, I don't even need a box because I want to I want to review the game before Coco Fest. So he sent me one out of the box. Um, I have one still in the box too. So because I'm a collector and I also want to support the community, I've got um, you know a Farfall sealed in plastic. This is John Strong's um, Bomb Squad cartridge that he designed himself. This is 3D printed, two colors. So you can see the two colors here. On the side here, you can kind of see where the thumb panels are. The little okay. Thumb. I'm only seeing Curtis. I'm not seeing you. You got to click on my screen to see me full screen. Okay. Um, and so you can see here um, that where you put your thumbs and fingers in to pull the cartridge out. This is an actual bomb indentation. So this is literally a, a custom cartridge that John made. And then this is John's packaging for that. Now, John's packaging for Bomb Squad was based on Tim Lindner's um, uh, reproduction color computer ROM pack boxes. So he designed these and, and reproduced these as faithfully as possible with actually better quality materials. So there's there's the ability to buy these um, boxes now too to box things up. So when we talk about modern um, when we talk about modern the future or the present and the future of Coco Gaming and I should just mention one more too since Nick is here. What Nick did is himself is he produced Popstar Pilot on a CD-ROM. So he produced his own package and in his package he has the CD-ROM which has the disc image and also has some bonus content and other games. Um, he's got a nice package and an uh, inserted manual with Popstar Pilot. So um, the way the way games are being produced now um, with modern technology you know they're being produced probably better than they were being produced back or as good as they were being produced back in the day, you know, um, the ability for, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine that most of the people, most of, a lot of the games that were written were just written by somebody out of their house anyways, right? So the equivalent now of what we would call an indie game or an indie game developer was probably what most Coco games were. I don't know, I don't know of very many people that they went to their game office every day and made games for a living all day long. But you guys would know better than I. But it's safe to say that most of the people who made games were just kind of doing it from their homes and then they sold it to Radio Shack or whoever when it was done. I was going to mention like third-party games, especially back then. I mean, they were just Ziploc baggies for the most part. There were a few of the big game developers. I mean, Tandy would be one that did professional packaging. Datasoft was another that did professional packaging. Electronic Arts, some of those. But a lot of them were just, you know, here's a floppy in a Ziploc baggie with a Xerox four-sheet manual. <laughs> John Strong's holding one right up right now. This is Soviet Block, written by John Strong from 1991. Documentation by John R. Strong. <laughs> so, you know. Not bad. Not bad. Now, that did you is... pick red specifically so it wouldn't be Xeroxable? Uh, red because it was... Uh, Soviet. Oh, Soviet. Soviet, okay. Block. Okay, that was the reason. Not the Xerox. There's nothing in there that really is to there. Uh, and then, Xerox? Course, <laughs> gems. Gems. Yeah. You know, and this is still one of the original discs. Oh, wow. Okay, and to give you a comparison of what we can do today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
You know, I've been doing on for a while on CD-ROMs, but uh, mm-hmm. got to compete with Nick, so <laughs> <laughs> got to update my stuff. Okay, and so we have. Yeah, not bad. And I've been printing the color in the CD-ROMs for a few years. Okay, but uh, hadn't did the special packaging. Extremely special. Okay, or the I color like documentation. Nice, nice. Definitely. Oh wow! Look at that. You got yeah. And then you have screenshots of the various games. Yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah. So this is really something you couldn't afford to do as an independent person years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The cost of manufacturing has come down so much. Yeah, the fact that John Strong is three D printing just about everything on the planet right now is (laughs) is showing you what what's possible nowadays. I remember listening to an interview with Scott Adams. uh, Adventure International, and he was talking uh-huh. about that they wanted retail packaging, and he said uh-huh. uh, his wife was a uh, bottle-feeding child, and they had these disposable bottles, and they had this liner you put in them, and so the liner was just the right size, I think, for the cassette tape, and so <laughs> buy these, you know, by the hundreds, and put the cassette tapes in them, and then make a little card for the top, and hey, look, retail packaging, <laughs> <laughs> and that was like 78 or something, 77, wow. he was on the yeah. Model 1 stuff, yeah, Time, times have changed, yeah. The fact that we've got injection molded cartridges in boxes and that John can John Strong can 3D print his own cartridges if he wants specific colors. And, you know, um, w- what we did for Coco now, so Nick Morentes produced his own um, packaging himself. But what we did for Coco Fest is we sent all that offer, that artwork off to a company that just produced it for us and shipped it to us shrink wrapped. So if you want to put something on CD-ROM or DVD-ROM, format there are companies online that will do that for you automatically you just upload the the image of the disc and you upload your artwork and they will produce it and ship it for you on demand so it doesn't cost you anything to have something shipped out on cd-rom format cd-rom is is definitely the second best thing i would think to a rom cartridge rom cartridge is very retro period appropriate you know because we we actually used real cartridges then uh i and i think the numbers have been good for for both you guys nick had a good uh a good success with pop star pilot because it was you know everybody knew about it for besides the fact that you know nick's nick doesn't need you know nobody needs to convince anybody on you know nick's games he's well known already but he also was able to promote that development for a while so there was a lot of awareness which is helpful um like you guys are mentioning now the blogs now and social media is probably helping raise awareness um, on current products and future products, which is great. That's kind of like what we would, you know, ha- that's kind of the equivalent, I guess, to modern PC games now where, you know, you have these trailer videos. We had trailer videos for Popstar Pilot before the game was out because I was running them. That was kind of cool, you know, with the 99 balloons in the background and stuff like that. Um uh, yeah, so there's there's when you talk about your favorite Coco game, now we've got lots of new Coco games to to call favorites, you know. And so, I, and I'm fond of all the ones that I've gotten these past year or two from Coco Fest and from everybody who's in the panel with us today. Um, so, uh, what do you guys think about the the present and the future of Coco gaming? I think it's the strongest it's been in years. Absolutely. And now you. Now you'll watch me die. What I'm really good at as a game tester is I'm really good at testing collision detection. <laughs> Just <laughs> not sure the bullet detect or collision yeah. detection. Yeah, so I definitely help make sure there's no bugs in anybody's collision detection routines. 
I'm playing on the Tandy Deluxe joystick again because that's what's hooked up. But one of these days, I'm going to... Because I have, talking about gaming, I have the Sega adapter, which is a John Linville, Neil Blanchard uh, joint there. That's say, you know what I was just thinking about too? So the Sega GamePad adapter lets you plug in Sega Genesis and Atari style controllers to your Coco. So you have that nice digital four, eight direction rugged gaming experience. I was just thinking if I want the ultra uber geek out thing, because I've got the, um, I've got the adapter that lets me play Coco joysticks on my PC via USB. I could theoretically plug the Sega adapter into that and then plug an Atari joystick into that and use that on an emulator running a real like a Wyco controller or something like that running that on my PC emulator now because of all the doodickies that I have now the do the doodickies whatever the hell they're called so um, I think that should theoretically work right if it's an adapter for a Coco controller and I've got a USB Coco controller I should be able to run it theoretically it should work yeah. The issue I would see is maybe power. Uh, you know what's being provided out through that. But right, 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 right. The uh, the Sega adapters, uh, uh, forty sixty sixes, I believe, and a couple of transistors, and that CMOS very low power. So uh, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't get enough power to be able to run it. Well, we'll find out. Like I said, it's, it, theoretically, it sounds like it might be possible, but I'll actually try it. But if I could run like a nice Wyco controller. I've also got one of those NES Advantage sticks, which is like a really good arcade stick. So if I could run that um, through my Coco, that would be kind of cool too. Or run it through my PC, I should say. That would be pretty cool for playing like some emulation type stuff. Well, like some of us built, you know, our arcade sticks up, you know, just either to work on the Co Coco or otherwise. So those are those options. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm a little behind in what I was hoping to be along in development and stuff. I've been fighting with some sound card issues because I want to support both the, the on card and then the off card and some stuff, you know. And so, uh, still working with prototypes and well, trying to find out what issues are going on. And uh, had some personal health issues that slowed me down a little bit. I had to some outpatient surgery. No, are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Just still recovering a little slow but uh it's uh it just slowed me down and getting some things done no, no that, major that joystick you showed me at coco fest the red one the very nice rugged springy one i would love one of those if you ever want to make one of those available for sale consider it sold oh yeah i i plan to do that if just we you know just got to buy up enough of them and sit down and have enough time to to do that because that's uh, a that's a really nice arcade stick. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer Stevie Stroh. Where can you turn to find the latest news and information about the Tandy Color Computer? Only one place: the Coco Crew Podcast. Join Neil Blanchard and John Linville each month as they scan the internet and social media for the latest stories about the Tandy Color Computer, Compatibles, and other 6809-based computers. It's the Coco Crew Podcast. Visit www.cococrew.org and begin listening today. Yeah, that's one of my last year's experiments, and 
taking things to the next level. So Fedor says he's leaving now. He's been saying that for like an hour and a half now. So <laughs> he's been captivated. Fedor, you're he's not gone. leaving. He's officially Bye, gone now. Fedor is gone. Um, what else we want to talk about games? Have we done enough game talk for now? We want to move on and talk about other Coco things. Or I'm in no hurry, and there's no, there's no, there's no, um, you know, nothing to well, worry about here. But what do you guys want to talk about now? You want to I'm keep this going? I'm excited by all people who's doing games now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even quote unquote their competition, I'm still excited about it. You know. Right. Like right. Bruce right. and Hugo and and Mark Donagil are. are I yeah, McDougal, right. Mark McDougal. Okay, McDougal. Yeah. I was missing the muck. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, excited about Nick's new project. Mm hmm. And, Gunstar. Uh, it just, uh, just a lot of things there, you know, and I'm looking at the projects I'm doing that uh, they're going to be, and I think, really cool. Uh, and uh, I, I think we have, like, you know, I think we're in the best shape, you know, most interesting sh time as far as games and stuff and the Cocoa since the, the Cocoa, you know, stopped production. Right. And, because we got so, both you guys here who are working on sound hardware for the Cocoa, which is something, you know, sadly missing. Um, um, yeah, to live until he's still on, I do need you to contact me so I can get some of those cards from you so I can support so, so here, here's a dumb hypothetical question and this kind of piggybacks on a discussion we had a week or so ago about like when when is modifying your cocoa too much right um, but you guys are already adding sound hardware which we've never had which is a, a, a nice needed feature and I think that's going to increase well, the value what if we add sprite hardware to a ROM cartridge is that possible uh, yes, it's possible, and then you'd be running, you know, basically on it. And uh, I believe it wasn't it Lewis or somebody did the one based on the TI chip, and it has the rights. Ninety nine eighteen. Yeah, the ninety nine eighteen. Yeah, I mean, you could. The um, problem with that chip, of course, is you know it, it takes it has its own video output. You need your own monitor connected uh, up there. I see. Yes. Um, its own RAM. What you also could potentially do is have uh, like a blitter of some sort. Um, you know, the the uh, the Williams arcade games had blitters in them, so that's a kind of a period correct piece. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know of any source of those <laughs> other than you know trashing Williams arcade hardware. Um, <laughs> so well, uh, this is. You know, kind of the interesting things with the the replacement gimme chip that might happen, and and uh, you know it's already being done on the Coco Nano to some extent, mm -hmm. and so it's not so much you can put it in the cartridge very easily. Then say it couldn't be done, just not easily. Right. Actually, and, yeah, you you brought up a good point that it has to be able to output back to the VDG in order for us to see it. So that right. Produces some, I would imagine, some electronic challenges. Well, you know, there, you know, I could imagine it could be possible to take your RGB out, plug it into your game cartridge, and do some mixing on the game on the board or on the game cartridge, and your your main output becomes from that. That's going to be a lot of work. 
Yeah, it sounds kind of like the hacky. Coco Two VGA uh, board is doing, where it's giving those extra modes with sixteen colors and stuff oh. on a Coco One and Two. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic project that he's doing there. I had some talks, and some crazy suggestions for him, and so I'm I'm waiting to see if he's able to pull off some of the things we we talked about. Uh, it'd be quite cool, and it's quite cool as it is. Yes, and uh, but it it's got some potential there that. You, know, you guys haven't seen yet uh, that I've talked about with him. So uh, whether it can be pulled off is another thing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential, a lot of different ways. And how far or too much? It's, it would know, be it would be interesting with whatever this thing was. It could be just stored on a ROM cartridge, so it doesn't require a modified Coco to work. Like most of these sound solutions will be on cartridge, so it's self-contained with the game. It'd be kind of cool if there's a way to not only give us an audio boost, but some type of graphical boost as well on cartridge. And, you know, that would just be a really cool feature. Not knowing all the logistics and electronics behind it, it's, you know, it's easy to wish for this to happen. Well, the Coco 3, you know, gimme replacement is is targeting to be able to pull out the chip and and be able to put another spatial socket back in, in there that plugs into that. And run there, so it's it's minor modification. It's just pulling out a chip that does come out at this time. So yeah, the only socketed one on the Coco Three, right? Right. So it is a socketed chip, and and to me, it's fair game. Yeah, but you have to understand that you know I'm a guy who started with a 4K Coco, you know, uh, way back when. Okay. And uh, and ended up modding it all the way up to 512 and you know multi packs and, and you realize uh, that you voided your warranty, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The tag is still there <laughs> over the hole. That was like the fear of God to me as a child. You never want to void your warranty. It was between the fear of voiding your warranty and just a. Uh, undying loyalty to the people at my Radio Shack store that kind of like raised me. They were my second set of parents that uh, I always wanted to have any work done done by them until Donkey King came out. And then I'm like, go ahead, have at it. <laughs> well, you know, our, our kind of badge of honor is when we'd open them, we, we kept that uh, label intact and then, you know, oftentimes put it back over the, uh, the same screw hole, but without the screw there, so we take it Ah, that's clever. That's clever. Like it, was, like it was sealed. Very and clever. That's what's kept intact. Anytime if we'd have to return it to the factory, we could pull our mods out and right. stick the well, label back on it. Well, something that's going to be neat for me, too. So last year, I think it was around September, I did a showcase on Color Computer 3 games. And for the most part, most of those games I played for the first time in my life because I'm very new to the Coco 3. Um, and I experienced a bunch of games that I never saw before, and I have a whole newfound respect for the Coco 3. What I have behind me, which you can hardly barely see, but I just last weekend I picked up my Tano Dragon new in box. And what I'm actually hope, looking forward to experiencing now are Dragon games. And so they're basically Coco games, but there were a handful of games that 
maybe only existed on the dragon so i'm gonna be looking forward to finding some of those and playing some of those on a real dragon i, I could be playing them on an emulator i suppose but it would be kind of cool for me having my first ever dragon and playing dragon games for the first time there's going to be kind of that cool exciting moment again um to be able to do all of that so that's something i'm looking forward to in the near future um any of you have experience with some dragon games and are there any that kind of are like must play titles for the dragon I are you gonna be using the dragon joysticks or yeah i have them yeah, i didn't Babe. have many games for mine so i couldn't really recommend yeah, there's quite a, quite a few interesting ones there. I mean, some of them have been backported to the Coco since, so, I mean, you probably have played some of them. But, uh, Jet Set Willy is a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones about the same same authors. Um, there's a bunch of unique ones, though, that were like on the, the ports between the Spectrum and the Coco, or the Dragon, and, and some of the other machines that were sold more in Britain. Hmm. Uh, there's quite a few of those. There's the whole uh, Cuthbert series, of which some were... U.S. games ported the dragon renamed, but there were, some of them are actually original ones that you know involve the same character. Um, I think Chucky Egg was another one. There's there's, a, there's quite a few. Okay, well we'll have to do we'll have to do some series on that, just some of the interesting dragon titles and things like that. That's something I'm looking forward to. There's uh, also that new dragon game also uh, by uh, what's his name from England. Uh, are you talking about Flagonbird from? Yeah, um, Flagonbird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, Steve Bosco, uh, Bamford. Steve, Bosco. Steve, Steve Bamford, Steve Bamford, aka Bosco. Yes. Right. Um, uh, or Steve. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Flag and Bird is cool. That also plays on the Coco. Um, so from what I understand, just bits and pieces I remember hearing from the podcast, it's something in the ROM where the keyboard translation is different, so the dragon keys don't map exactly right. And I think what John Linville said he did in Farfall is he just checks for the keyboard and looks for either one and will accept. You know, Farfall will run on a dragon too. Um, yeah, Glenn, map identical. Okay, Glenn Hewlett says I got to go. Richard Lorbieski had to leave. I think Nick Nick Marentis put a, a message in Skype saying he's got to go too. So some of us, some of us are dropping off like flies here. So thank you everybody <laughs> who was here for the time you were here. We appreciate you having here. Um, the ROM routine for the keyboard could be called by the indirect call the same way if you called that. However, the uh, the shortcut to a lot of games and stuff different was located in different places in the dragon. Mm. And if you did your own keyboard routine, the matrix layout matrix of the between the dragon and the cocoa was different. Okay. And, and so uh, some things would run without modifications, some things would run into the issues with it. Okay. Theoretically you could make it look up table so you could uh, you know, just remap the stuff or Well some some of the guys actually took and rewired the key, the keyboard matrix so it matched the oh. Coco uh, matrix and so just run it as a in yeah, Coco. So we do have some new games in development now, like Nick Morentis is working on Gun Star, um, who just he, he just left us, and now um, uh, John Strong is working on a Wreck It Ralph clone called Fix It Felix, which is a, a work in progress. Um, so these are some kind of cool new titles that are currently in development. They're kind of, you know, on, on the horizon. Well, there's what, a new old game too. What's that? 
Uh, oh, oh, force! I've heard a lot about that. I actually, <laughs> actually, I went to Chicago and I saw a whole presentation on that. It was pretty good, eh? <laughs> um, I, just, I just spent an hour with Simon uh, Jonas, and um, he's trying to write a routine that will run background music on the Coco Two. Oh wow! While bass is going on, and uh, man, if anybody can do it, it's him. But it's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. We're trying so. To- so when you, whenever you're ready to schedule a formal interview to talk about that project, we'd love to do that with you, Bruce. Yeah, um, um, so other than what we know is happening right now on the horizon, if you had to wish for a game to come out in a Coco, what would your dream Coco game that you'd like to see be? This is Lee Patterson, author of Bouncy Ball, and you're watching the original Gamers TV show. Yesterday, buying an IBM XT was a good business decision. But today, the Tandy 1200 from Radio Shack can give you the same power and performance for about half the price. The 1200 runs the same IBM XT compatible software, is backed by a company committed to service and support. And the Tandy 1200 costs about half as much. Tandy, clearly superior. In business for business. Only at Radio Shack Computer Center. Tandy Assembly offers attendees a unique opportunity to meet and interact with other fans of Radio Shack and Tandy computers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Something new is here. Speakers include TRS-80 creator Don French, author of Star Trek III and Dog Star Adventure Lance Miklas, and game designer Scott Adams of Adventure International. Vendors include Bartlett Labs, Cloud9, Neil's Computer Service, Retro Innovations, Retro Tinker. Meet podcasters from Floppy Days, the Coco Crew Podcast, TRS-80 Trash Talk, and YouTube sensation, the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Join us for two days of retro computing fun in Chillicothe, Ohio, October 7th and 8th. For more information, visit our website at www.tandyassembly.com. Now, for the power computer user who demands performance, Radio Shack introduces the Tandy 3000, the more powerful and more affordable IBM PC AT compatible. Here's the power to manage your business, utilize computer networking, or create a multi-user system. The Tandy 3000, the power to put you in command. Tandy, clearly superior, in business, for business, only at Radio Shack Computer Center. Steve, got a question for you. Do we uh, do you have the links on your website to order these games? Mm, kind of, sort of. I have links to some of John Linville's blogs on and John Strong's blogs. I don't know that there's specific ordering information on their blogs, though. Um, that's a great question, and if that does not exist, it should. Yeah, just uh, contact me by my email address at johnstrong@hotmail.com. Now, um, but I do have I do have most of the people's blogs on my site. But how you reach them and purchase for them via their blogs, I am not sure about you know, how those individual sites are constructed. Great question, but uh, the it so so the nice thing would be. Well, here's the other thing too. There was there was recently was added a, a shopping site. Let me just pull it up on my 
on my website. Okay, so here's my website here, right? And what was that shopping site that was recently just introduced called? It was called um, Coco Wares. I forgot who was doing that. Was that um, Carlos Camacho was starting Coco Wares? But I honestly Co- can't remember. Coco Wares. I believe it, so. So Coco Wares is an attempt to consolidate everybody who's got current things for sale under one website. So CocoWares.com, which there is a link to that as well on, on my site. Um, but, you know, and there is there is uh, pinned to the Facebook group. I don't think Brian's in the group anymore, but one of the last things Brian Blake did was he pinned a thing saying, here's some common things everyone should know. If you need a Coco SDC card, contact Ed Snyder. If you need a 3D printed case, contact John Strong. You know, so he kind of listed some of the go-to people for some of the core components and, you know, sundries that we use on a regular basis. That was pinned there. Um, you know, I've tried to compile websites, but is there one simple link saying, here's who you reach specifically to buy this product? I don't know that that one simple page exists, but it probably should. You know, uh, the, quick, the quick quick, go to buy here, click here page, you know. So yeah, we'll work on idea. that. But do me a favor, just, just crank it out real quick in HTML for us, Grant. Can you do that? Sure, <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> so... Um, well, yes, part so, of the issue with is, is this, too, is basically the game cartridges. I know that uh, John Linville does these in batches, and so do I, so it's not something that we always have available in the cartridges because of the amount of time and stuff it takes right, 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 to right. produce those for people. And uh, so, and, and some of that we do mostly at Cocoa Fest, just simply because of the amount of time an effort it takes to get everything prepped. We kind of stock up for Cocoa Fest and then right, right, go right, on until right. we sell out, etc. Yeah. But yeah, so what, like if, if you could see any game you wanted on the Coco, like for me it would be cool to see something like Minecraft. That would be huge to, to accomplish, but that would be a cool wish list to see. What kind of new game that as far as we know, is not in the works yet. Would you like to see on a Coco one, two, or three? Well, Jacob is double thumbs up for mine. Yeah, Minecraft on the Coco. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what what does he play on? Does he play on PC or console? Bruce. Did we lose Bruce? All right, we'll move on. But besides Minecraft, what what would what would you guys love to see on the Coco as far as a future new game that's that's not currently in production? Terraria. <laughs> Terraria. <laughs> in, in my case, I would like to see an original one because that was my some of my favorite games from the Coco. Yeah. Are originals that don't exist anywhere else, like Photon or Grabber or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. Photon, yeah. come up with something brand new. Okay. Come up with something brand new, which is kind of probably what Nick's doing now with um with Gunstar, even though the genre is not a new genre, it's a new game, I guess. Uh, so you're talking about like even a new genre that doesn't fit into any not particular mold? That. I mean, I mean, there's been so much development over the last 40 years, it's kind of hard to come up with a new genre now. But right, you can come up with an original game that has some, you know, some mechanics that are unique to your game or, or playing that's unique to the game as opposed to trying to clone something. Yeah. Game. I would I, love to see Hugo's game when that's ready too, his uh, platformer he's working on. That yeah. looks really interesting. Yes. I do have, you know, something in preliminary design work that's you know, completely 
original in that that aspect. Um, but I've got so many projects and ideas, you know, when I'll get to to do it. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. there there's definitely still room for uh, for that to happen. Um, it's actually in a genre that I don't think anybody's done that on the color computers yet. Okay, interesting. It's interesting. One, one of the games that I have in mind. Nice teaser. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, what, knowing what our physical limitations are, the physical limitations are the speed and the number of colors and things like that, we can't stretch the, those laws of physics. But some of the things we have been able to stretch have been like the ability to store things on Coco SDC, virtual storage, virtual hard drives. I'm imagining it would be kind of cool to have some type of game to incorporate a lot of the elements that have that are kind of around the community, like uh, John Linville has a video player. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to have a game on a virtual hard drive that every now and then pulls up a full screen video? Uh, to my the knowledge, cut there haven't the cutscene. There haven't been a lot of games on the color computer that use full screen video. That was very popular in the '90s, like on you know any CD-ROM based game. Um, that would be kind of cool now to incorporate some of these tools. The only way to do that is you would pretty much need a Coco SDC on a virtual hard disk to have the capacity to pull it all in. And the speed. And in the speed. But that would be kind of cool. Is just, you know, kind of stretch not only the imagination, but stretch some of the techniques and capabilities that are newer to our, newer in existence and newer to our awareness and stuff, you know? And that's precisely why I kept digging Nick on to trying to finally write a 6309 game because same thing you have a chip that can do a lot more mm. a lot of people have it now we don't really have any games that really fully take advantage of it. a few new tweaks and stuff based on them we haven't had a full dedicated 6309 game and i'd really like to see what that chip can do yeah well and, and i agree and i just i haven't bit the bullet to convert to 6309 john side. rob says he'd love to see ultima 4 <laughs> well i so the seventh link is probably pretty close technologically wise. It even has real 3D rendering when you're in the dungeons. Yeah. That's cool. I I, I just think that you know we're 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 still barely scratching the surface on what um, not only what our imaginations can unlock but what's physically possible. And I think as new things come around like add-on sound and Coco SDC and flash cartridges and, and, and the ability to do um, bank switching and have a cartridge go up to five. But even 512K is a fairly um, limp, fairly you know fixed limitation on a larger scale game. It's probably good to have you know a traditional platform style game and a few things like that. But in the minute you want to introduce things like video and stuff like that, that's going to blow through the ceiling of 512K. But uh, designing something for Coco SDC, you you almost have unlimited capability in what you could pull off of a virtual hard disk or something, you know? Yeah, you can do that. I mean, the cartridge could be stretched in a lot of different ways. It hmm. really hasn't been talked about. Uh, and John Linville has, has hinted uh, at some of the ways that we, we can stretch the cartridge even you know, above and beyond. What's uh, the what's the read time on those cartridges? Would that still read faster from ROM than we could read from like a Coco SDC, a virtual hard disk? Yes. Okay. So even with the new streaming command that uh, Darren added. Uh, 
that I would have to check, but still you're going to reach out and touch. And, then, and there, it's in, it's in your memory now. You know, you're just going to move it from your memory in. There you're going to do that. You know, it might be coming close with the, the streaming. Um, I guess that's right, because so, you're still having to read from the controller until the controller gets something, whereas on the ROM, you're just dumping memory raw that you already have. Right. So I imagine it'll be, you know, always be a little bit, I imagine it has to be always a little bit faster coming from the ROM, uh, but it may not be significantly, you know, with some of the extra things that's being done. Um, you know, there's nothing that says that we can't put, you know, our own serial fly strip, you know, on it and stream stuff in through that, even though mm. that would maybe not be as fast. Uh, that's something I keep wanting to look at in depth to do because I, I really want to be able to to have some games that say it's high score and you have to be a cartridge. Yeah, that's cool. And the, the cost difference between a small one and a big one is minimal. Okay. I start having yeah. non-volatile RAM on our ROM cartridges. That's a cool feature. And so there's uh, just so many ideas and having enough time to do that. You know? Right. You know, we have day jobs. We have <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those darn and, things. And uh, and my wife is really understanding with this stuff, so that that helps. Yeah, definitely. But it it but there's still times you know, I we have to have that time together to do that. And I was like, right. Uh, today I didn't think I was gonna make the talk because we were gonna go out this weekend. And we got got looking. And, I was going to go up north a little bit and find a hotel. They're like all booked up today. And they open up and the prices drop tomorrow. So we're going to look at maybe heading up tomorrow up to Traverse City, Michigan or something. We haven't been up there for a long time. And uh, nice country up there. But, you know, you have those things to do. And it takes time. It takes money. Uh, you know, this you know, all this stuff, so... Yeah, Jim Brain and, just know, chimed and, in. It says you can play with the EE prom on the Coco Flash. Yeah. And, yeah, that's that's a great tool that I'm looking at and using and helping with stuff is because it's got some of those features that we want to use and test the bank switching and stuff so I can prototype mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, that's, and, there's just so many hardware things that we can yeah. start to tap into. Yeah, because right, right now I just, today before I got on late because I was actually working on the multi-pack and did the, the Coco 3 upgrade and, and trying to see if I could get it to work with the uh, Brain sound card. And I'm still having issues with that, even with the normal multi-pack. Though I can get it to work plugged straight into the Coco. So, uh, hmm. you know, I don't know if it's, it's something in my system that's causing it or what. But I can't develop it for it till I get it figured out. <laughs> right, 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 right. And uh, if if he's listening, I did find out when a reboot does remaps the address that you you get a cool feature. You can actually change the address via software that the car the cartridge is speaking to. Uh, in my version, that does change it change back to the default when it's powered down or reset. And I didn't know that. Uh, that's maybe something that he knew and didn't tell me in our little bit of conversation. But uh, so, you know, things like that open a lot of possibilities. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, 
he's talking, you know, he's got a prototype with four sound chips on it, you know. Um, That's amazing. We have so many sound choices coming at us soon enough here. It's going to be... Yeah. And so it, it's, you know, very interesting time as far as the developer. And I'm like, okay, how can I take advantage of all these things? Right, 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 right. And options, and, options. You know, and, and keep it as inexpensive as possible right. for people to buy. You know, yeah, my, you know I, I worry about that, but I look at, you know, $40 for game cartridge. But I see you stuff out there going for that. Yeah, no, that's not that's not unreasonable, I don't think, and I don't think anybody's had a problem right now. Well, you could certainly to me, speak I'm, to that. I'm most cool enough. I'm looking at forty dollars. That's high end cartridge. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, but hey, I've been in this a long time, and you know, uh, go to remember the other stuff. Go to like Atari Age and look and see what they're selling their stuff for. At the end of the day, oh, yeah. we don't we don't need to compare ourselves to anybody. You know, you your time and your talent uh, have value. The the product that we're going to purchase has value. The entertainment aspect of it has value. The fact that it's something new for our cocoa has value. The fact it's collectible has value. I don't think you need to make a case for what something's worth. And and I haven't seen anything that you've made or John Linville's made or Nick's made that has been unreasonably priced. Anywhere between twenty five dollars to forty dollars. I would go as high as even paying fifty or sixty dollars for something. If um, there was what I felt to be some value in the product, like I wouldn't pay $60 for Follow Coco, which is a very simple four color match to color games. But for something like a really good quality arcade game that's got lots of levels to it and there was a sound chip built in and everything else, I would have no problem paying $60 for a brand new high quality Coco game with, with including hardware, you know, so... Um, uh, this is something that I know that we have people in the community that don't have. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the idea is people have to get to understand if you're a dual retro community, you're going to have the old games and some of those are going to be free. And then you're going to have, you know, you're going to have to pay, you know, if you're doing commercial stuff. And I mean, some guys are going to give it away free. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. Right. But right. by the time I invest in, you know, the cartridge and do all this stuff, yeah. you know, I've, you know, it just you know I'm gonna charge. Yeah, yeah, and, and I don't think there's any I don't think there's any argument or complaint when it comes to that. And if they are, screw them. We don't need them. <laughs> 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 They're not our kind of cocoa nuts. They're ingrateful but, bastards. Know, I, <laughs> I really think that it's you know uh, a lot of interesting things. I'm ex excited what I'm, what Nick's going to come up with. And, of course, I'm going to have to think, okay, well, I can come up to kind of match him. But I haven't got, <laughs> got to that point yet. They have yeah. other projects to finish. You know, so, you, you mentioned the word competition, you know, when, when other people are doing things. Is it competition? I, you know, I, it's, I, I guess there's, how many, there's not that many words you can use. Technically, you know, we're, we're not competing with each other. We're, we're all, when I say we, I'm not doing anything. But you guys, you're making things that we want. And so... The more people that are out there making those things, the, the, the better it is for us consumers. 
that we have friendly more products. Yeah, so friendly competition, okay. but it's it's also I would look at it as probably like an inspiration and a motivation too. I and mean, man, these people are making right. stuff. I better uh, keep motivated too, because I know that was one of the things we talked about is how do you stay motivated when you're working on a project and when you're at that part of the process where it's no longer fun and you're you're in the labor phase where I've got to hash this part out to make this thing happen. Now it's no longer play; it's like work. How do I force myself through that hurdle? Um, probably seeing somebody else doing something might help with that. <laughs> it, it does, and it also yeah. gets on the these talks help. Okay? Yeah. And uh, you know, our you know Neil is play tester. You know, we get we you know talk you know uh, text back and forth from or email back and forth from things and stuff. So it's things that you use to keep keep going. You know, uh, good compliments. You know, I don't go out and try to see compliments. You know, I don't have that big an ego on my games. But well, David Ladd does. Say, but <laughs> I, what I will, what the heck are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> but what I will say, though, is when somebody says something about it, you know, it does help and it helps, you know, to motivate. You know, that's, that's not good. the goal. Good. It's not the goal to go out there and, and you know, feast for compliments. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, showing something cool and cool compliments come back, that helps greatly as far as motivating motivation on doing something yeah and that applies yeah. to hardware and software projects too that's not in general oh, that doesn't apply just yes. to games mm -hmm. it, it's and you know it's one of the things that i uh i complained about it at, at work is because i do some very unique things for them and they're not you know seeing it we've got some people that are getting recognition in the company for some of the cool stuff that they do which is mm -hmm. all right but other people are not and I think yeah. it should be across the board, and because we're all, you know, good, and like all these guys mm -hmm. doing these things, are like, whoa, wow, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, they're doing that. Mm. Well, I wouldn't do it that way, but hey, it's a good idea. Right, right, you right. You know, it's just like you know, I'm looking at the the great work they're doing in the the Pac-Man transcode. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think what Dick did on Pac-Man was great. This is kind of different. He's trying to convert the other. And yeah. I'm looking at and saying, well, Pac-Man's not that fast game. Does he need compile sprite? Well, okay. If you want to compile sprites, you can compile sprites. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, it's you know, it's his project. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't always come to the same decision given the same right. set of data. And um, but it's all very interesting. You know, and it's going to be interesting to see Bruce's project. You know, it's not the kind of stuff I I write, mm -hmm. but we we need it all. Hello. I am the speech and sound pack, and you are listening to Colcol Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website and download our latest games. We now return you to Col Col Talk. Yeah, I can still remember a long time ago that Alan Huffman had come and said, you know, people were walking by, I heard somebody say, looking at he was looking at my my puzzle games, you know. And oh those are boring games and, and Alan says, 
Now, this guy's saying those are boring games, but it's a good, it's a very good clone of Tetris, and Tetris is like a popular multi-year game. Yeah. It's still popular. Yeah. You know, and this guy is saying, well, this is boring, and he kind of passing off. So everybody has their you yeah. know, type of game they like to play. My brother liked to play the the long, the, what, the RPGs, you know, you, you have to hit this guy a hundred times and go back and hit him a hundred there to gain <laughs> one point. You know, I mean, he could, he could constantly pay, play that all the time. And me, I just get bored the daylights out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. after I've done it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I want something new. Yeah, I already proved I can fight this guy. Give me a new challenge. Right. Yeah. right so right. everybody's different. Yeah, and what we want, and the games they do, the way way we look at game design, and you know what we think, you know, needs to be done, and so it's interesting to see some of these, you know, comments on the compiled sprites, and, and mm -hmm. in some cases of being, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I see where you need that. Well, no, I don't see what you need in that case, you know, and you know, how much time and effort do you put in to one thing if you can't see it on the end? And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of pride. You want to make sure you do exactly the best. Other times, good enough is good enough. <laughs> right. You know, is, you know, your title screen, okay? Uh, I don't need compiled sprites for a title screen, most likely. <laughs> you know, I may use them because I already have them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's judging how much time do I put into this part of the game, you know, and is it right. going to be seen? Right. Is anybody right. going to notice any difference? between it, you know, because right. I've optimized this out. Because we've had a lot of talk about optimization, and it's good to know how to optimize, okay? And there's times you absolutely need it. But optimization can mean a, a lot of different things to different ways. You could be optimizing for size, okay? I remember years ago, cool when I did a, a screen print to a 10 printer and let 128 bytes. That was cool. <laughs> but uh, you know speed is not always everything uh, optimizing is may not always necessary for everything sometimes you spend so much time getting it perfect that you never get it released yeah I think Bruce wants to jump in with something here good go ahead Bruce oh well just yeah on the on the same sort of theme here about competition and all and and recognition and all that um, I think I mentioned this about the Cocoa Fest, but the it, it struck me as as um, like an art. This is this is kind of like art. It's kind of like an art display or a performance mm -hmm. in a way. Right. Some art. And so you might make something, and someone will look at it and go, "Well, what is that? I don't, you know, you know, I don't get that piece of art at all." And someone else will go, "Well, that's brilliant." Mm -hmm. You know, but we're we're so it's not that we're trying to necessarily uh, beat somebody else out. Uh, We've got an artistic vision, and we're trying to bring that out. and And the encouragement from others is is fabulous. And especially if you can work together with somebody, that just pumps you up all together. But you know, as an artist, if someone says, "Hey, I really dig that painting or whatever," that man does that encourage you to just yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. right, one, right, you know? right. And if you <laughs> go if you go to an art show, you will see 
things from somebody taking plastic beads and stringing them together and making earrings to somebody who does sculptures, hand sculptures, somebody who does oil painting. Uh, you're going to see a vast array of things. And again, I don't think anybody looks at that as a competition of who's the best artist. You know, there's just no. there's something no. for everyone. And, 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 and the person making those earrings might sell a hundred pair of earrings because they're two dollars each. And the person with their fancy oil painting that wants four hundred dollars might not sell at all. So yeah. what's the best is also not always the measuring stick. Um, that's a great point of view. So if I could paraphrase that, really what you're trying to say is you really just want to express yourself. You want to express your idea. And um, the more of these ideas and expressions we have out there, there's just more art for people to appreciate depending on what their tastes are, which is very yeah. cool. And it's not, yeah, and it's not like and no one's here. No one's here trying to make a whole lot of money, right? No. We just, we'd like to kind of break even if we could, you know, that wouldn't that be nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we create something on some like in our community, you know, guys like us look at the other cocoa stuff and we actually appreciate what we're doing where everybody else is going to go. What are you doing that for? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we get it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Al Alexander Wallace in the chat has a question about it. He says, can I ask for help on how to start a game? I just got the cocoa SDC working. I want to play King's Quest one with my kid, but I can't remember how to start the game. Um, is that something you can help me explain to him and I'll pull up on a Coco 3 on the Coco SDC, Curtis, or anyone else? Um, it should be just a NOS 9 boot and type Sierra-R if you're RGB and Sierra by uh, so, your composite. Uh, well, I think a picture is worth a thousand words here, so I will try something real quick. So um, what I'm going to try to do here, Alex, I don't know what, um, what version... Yeah, he says it boots into nitrous, right? So if I say, um, okay, so I need to say, um, dir, this one has not been patched with Cocoa SDC Explorer. So it's games. Oh, I should probably just switch cartridges. Hold on one second. We will return after these messages. Computer shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85 megabyte hard drive, only $12.99. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only $899.95. Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior service. Nobody compares. I'm Evan Wright, author of Flooded for the Color Computer, and you're listening to original gamer Steve Stroh. I'm not going to type. Typing's for losers. Right. Just like reading manuals. Yeah, typing and reading are both for losers. All right, so well, hold on. Well, you I want to say that, you know, uh, the Coco stuff is still having manuals. I know that Nick does and mine does. Uh, so it's KQ. It's K? K for King's Quest. So we'll do KQ1. I'll do a Shift M to mount. Uh, OS 9 disk, press enter to boot. So now I just hit enter to boot. So now we're booting into Nitrous 9. Oh my god, I have OS 9 on my computer. <laughs> yep. Now just type in uh, Sierra-R if you're on Okay, so now I am just in... Okay, so just, just out of curiosity right now, if I typed in dir, and I saw what was in my directory, somewhere on this directory, where is the Sierra... The Sierra executable is not even here. It's in a startup folder, right? No, it's in the command folder. Commands folder. So if I did a dir cmds, is it case sensitive? Nope. If I did dir commands, inside the commands folder is the Sierra folder, which is the launcher. And that is, and so now you just type in Sierra. 
Yep, and, and you put and dash R if you want RGB or not. Dash R for RGB. Yep. Okay. And then this will theoretically, if you have a joystick and wish to use it, press its button. That works for all the Sierra games, too. Yes. So, let's see. Okay. And what this game is... What this game is missing right now is three voice music. I'm waiting for the soundtrack, Steve. But the music, the notes are very clear, though. They're not verbally as Curtis no, likes to call it. It's not using stock OS 9 sound calls. It's yeah. actually using its own hard coded routine. Why they didn't bother calling Quantic iPod? Yeah. So these were mentioned by. Okay, shut up. Jesus Christ, you're killing me. Okay. How do we stop this crap? I oh, can't stop. Oh, you don't know how to start the game, so you can just hit reset. I'm, yeah. All right. So, anyways. All right. Oh, look at that one. I hit reset. There we go. All right. There we go. So, hopefully that helped so Steve, there, Alexander. Uh, OS 9. Uh, so, Steve, when are you going to start working on the OS 9 uh, uh, project on your, uh, you know, to teach us how to do it? Uh, well, it's it's on and my tutorials. list. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> as soon as I learn it, I'll be happy to share the knowledge. I, I actually do want to learn it. Uh, so, uh, so a few eons. Well, yeah, you won't see the mi <laughs> you won't see the minus R, Alexander. When you do a dir, you're not going to see minus R. Minus R is now just a modifier. Your pa a command uh, option you're passing off to the executable or the script. So Sierra is the program. Minus R is now just saying running in RGB versus composite. Um, just like DOS commands, like you could do a dir slash p for pause and things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that was so that is that that's probably just one of the challenges that people who don't understand OS nine face, right? So with a cocoa, you just type in dir, you see the name of the program, it's in the root of that folder, and you just launch the bin or the bass file in, in your disk extended basic. In the case of this Sierra disk, it wasn't even clear what you were supposed to type in because when I saw dir I didn't see anything. I don't know anything about OS 9. No. You guys had to tell me to look in the commands folder to look for Sierra. Now, if you bought the book, it would have came with the book, right? So the book would have told you to type in Sierra. Yeah. Now that we're playing it 30 years later, you have to guess. <laughs> yeah, so. OS 9 is nice. It actually has executable directories and, and command directories. Oops, I said that's nice about OS 9. Yeah, but but the other thing was, too, is that I typed in Sierra, and it was in a directory called command, so there's obviously a path or an environmental yeah, there's an execution path. directory path and yeah. a data directory path. So, so there, like are some, there are some actual OS-y type things about this Nitrous 9, apparently, or this OS 9 thing. It's almost like an actual operating system. So is there <laughs> to be honest, a lot of the games back then, because OS 9 wasn't as easy to use as RS-DOS for this kind of thing, would actually have the boot-up screen give you the instructions Type Sierra dash R to start adventuring. Ah, uh, okay. And I think the original King's Quest Three and Leisure Suit Larry did do that. Actually, they actually gave the instructions exactly what to type. Why they didn't do that on the other ports? So, when, sure. so you're saying when the when the floppy first boots, it like printed out a little display on the thing, like an auto exec bat file that says type in Sierra dash R for RGB yeah. or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Grant. Were you getting ready to say something? What's the difference between OS Nine and Nitrous 9? The Nitrous 9 is the optimized version of <laughs> OS 9. It was originally designed for the 639 chip, so it's got a ton of optimizations for that chip. It runs way faster. But it has since been backported back to the 6809 chip and also back to the older Cocoa 1 and 2 because originally it was Cocoa 3 only. So it's a basically a very more modernized, optimized, bunch of extra features version of OS 9. All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah. 
Very cool. All right, well, we've definitely been beating this topic to death now for over two hours. We, I, talking about color computer games, we could talk about this for for 24 hours and not even cover every single game. So this is probably a good one to visit and revisit over time. And maybe and when people are watching this video in replay, what I would ask those of you to do is to leave in the comments what some of your favorite Coco um, games are for the Coco 1, 2, and 3. I still want to put together a special of like the top 10 color computer 1 and 2 games and the top 10 Coco 3 games. And, you know, it's always a subjective thing because it's, you know, do you want to do just top 10 arcade games versus top 10 sports games versus top 10, you could even get into genres, top 10 shooters, um, or is it just top 10 games? So there's there's a million ways to slice that. And, and like we've mentioned in this talk this evening, everybody's favorite is different. Like somebody is going to not think Tetris is interesting and somebody else will. Um, and this is art. This is people expressing themselves. So just as like there are many different artists with many things to express, as a consumer, we have a variety of tastes of things that we want to see. And, you know, when you go to see a movie, there's a lot of different movies you might like to see, you know. So um, I, I think there's uh, I'm looking forward to more types of games out there and just new games even if it's a game that's a game we've seen before i just would love to see another new game for the pac-man so uh, for the coco so like pac-man's a perfect example you know we're porting the arcade pac-man we've seen pac-man you know this is a game we've seen but now we're seeing it on the coco just like donkey kong we've played donkey kong but now that we can play the real donkey kong on our coco it's just kind of cool so Whatever new and the real thing, space invaders too. Is yeah, important. yeah, the real space invaders being ported, Knights lore. So, whatever comes our way and comes to the way of the Coco, me being a fan of the Coco, I'm I'm ready to consume it. I want to gobble it up, you know. Um, and, ho and hopefully, there's plenty of other people out there who want to do that as well to help. Um, like I said, nobody's going to get rich, but at least help compensate the people who've invested the time and the energy to create these things for us. I think Bruce said he had to drop off too. Thanks for being here, Bruce and Jacob. Um, yeah, but this is a very rich topic that we've got plenty more to mine from in the future, I think. Yeah, definitely does. Yeah. And and there's all kinds of sub themes and sub genres yeah. and stuff we can go yeah. through to pick like what's the top four K games and what's the top Yeah, yeah. You know, what's your favorite what's your favorite text adventure versus graphic adventure, you know? <laughs> um then you could go on and on. But yeah, we'll we'll call it a we'll call it a show for tonight. I want to thank everybody for being here. We didn't get to any hardware discussions at all, and that's just means we've got a whole other topic to topic out talk about next week, right? So that's good. Sometimes it's good when we don't get to something because that gives us Something else to talk about. <laughs> I don't think we'll run short of topics. Yeah, great. Well, if it's Coco, there's always topics. That's we're yeah. always topics. Yeah. So for those of us who are left now, Mark Overholzer and Curtis and David and John Strong and Grant and Bruce, who I think is still here, and everybody who was here before, from John Linville to Nick Morentis to um, Rick Norvell and. Uh, Fedor and uh, Richard Lorbieski and everybody else. I can't remember everybody who was here, but we had a lot of people here in uh, Skype and we had a lot of people uh, watching us in chat. Uh, James Ross, always at the last minute. I've been listening to the conversation since 45 minutes into the stream. Enjoyed it later all. Thank you, James. We're very happy to have you listening. And if you ever want to call in sometimes and, and be part of the conversation on Skype, you're always welcome as well. Um, always love to hear from fans of the Coco. 
Um, yeah, so I, it's still on my list to put together a video compilation of some of the top 10 games. And the only way to make it fair is, well, we, you know, you let people vote like we did before. So based on the feedback you get from Facebook and things like that, what, 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 what games rise to the top? Um, you know, very easily Donkey King needs to be there. The, uh, Dungeons of Daggereth, something like Zaxxon definitely needs to be in that list of early, you know, uh, before Coco 3. These are some of the standout games that are just in my memory, you know. Um, another, like the F-18 game, that's an amazing piece of software for what it did with all the scrolling and everything else and the fact that it also took advantage of some of the speech sound. Um, very large scale game with a lot of detail and a lot of depth to it pretty cool there's just so many it's like how do mustang you choose p51 mustang p51 yeah, yeah it was so and, and that's a multiplayer one too that was yeah. a good one even over actually, a modem yep you could play it over a modem it was yeah very interesting yeah so actually all- steve on, on on the line of the the top games too it might be interesting to go through like computer shack slash mictron used to publish a top 10 list every month in rainbow no obviously they were a bit biased to their own stuff but <laughs> they did include third party stuff and it would be kind of yeah. interesting maybe to compare what the lists were back in 83 84 we gotta and find see how we yeah. thought about them at the time yeah yeah that'd be kind of cool and just even just pull up that list and just talk about that list <laughs> yeah it'd save us a hell of a yeah. lot of- yeah, effort, yeah. So. <laughs> nice, nice little reaction video right there. Like, what were they smoking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, no shortage of great ideas. That's good. All right, well, we're going to wrap up this week's Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk number 10. This is technically now the 11th week we've done this. We, the, One of the weeks was Coco Fest. But so, um, yeah, 11 weeks, and we're not running out of things to talk about, and we're not running out of... Uh, you know, uh, tens of elevens of people to tune in and listen to us talk about this crap. So, <laughs> I, I, we should mention two other things just briefly before we end the show. Uh, one, you put up a new video today for um, Blockhead, I believe it was. Blockhead, yes, my Blockhead yeah. redo video where I actually made it through the fourth level. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is that the 8 bit guy, a YouTuber, uh, yes, he did a restoration yes. of a Coco, we should mention. Yeah. Very interesting video. Yeah, yeah. What did I miss on that? I didn't catch all the topics or comments on feedback, but I saw somebody, it was, maybe it was Rich Lorbieski saying something like, well, I wasn't meaning to insult the guy, but he said something. I don't even know what I missed on that. But um, that was an interesting video um, where he took it apart and cleaned it and repainted it and all that kind of stuff and went through looking at all the hardware mods with the LED and everything else. Very cool video. Um, it's something and he's going to be I, doing more on the Coco, which is really yeah, nice too. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, I, I, I can't say that I'm, I don't want to use the word jealous, but maybe envious is a better word. But, you know, he is at that point in his career where he's got enough people who like what he does and the quality of what he does is great too. But he posted a video and the number of people who shared that video, there was easily three or four people just in our group that, that shared that video right away. I think John Linville was one of the first ones, but everybody's sharing that video. I would love to reach that level sometime where I put something up on YouTube and people are just sharing it across the uh, interwebs, you know. So, I mean, I'm not on that level of quality of what I'm doing or just audience and stuff, but the, the that's that says something about when you have arrived, you know, when you've got a following and you have a quality um, product you produce and people are wanting to share it and watch it and stuff like that. So I definitely commend everything he's done with his um, with his projects, and I hope to reach close to that level one of these days, you know. 
So it was a very cool project. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that we will talk about in future Cocoa Talks, too. We will not only get into hardware discussions, but even um, video hardware demonstrations of possibly changing out ROM chips. and doing. I, I don't know that I'm ever going to do any soldering myself, but if somebody wants to do a screen share like what Mark was doing before, Mark was showing some of the soldering he was doing. I would love to watch somebody else solder. I don't know how to do it, but I'm interested in seeing it. So we've got enough of us here. If anybody wants to point their camera at something they're working on, uh, I would love to see it, and I think other people will too. So, you know, not only hardware discussions, but maybe actual hardware um, demonstrations and explanations uh, we look forward to doing in the future as well. Um, yeah. I won't like, be demonstrating soldering my hair, but <laughs> I did it once, right. that was enough. All right, well, Mark and now, Curtis... I'm trying to figure out how you actually accomplished that, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Mark, Curtis, David, John, Grant, and Bruce, thank you all for being here. Thank you, everybody who watched... And we will see you next week on Coco Talk, hopefully back at our normally scheduled time of 2 p.m., but you never know. You just never know. All right. We are going to say bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Later on. We'll see you next week. Leave Later, a comment. everyone. Leave a comment below in this video when you see it in the replay and tell us what your favorite color computer game is, and we will try to put that in our list for our top tens as we work on them. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at cocotalk.live where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Keep on cocoing. Coco forever. Have a Coco day. And bye-bye, everybody. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness. Gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. Alright, people. Gameplay goodness. Thank you so much. You know, gameplay There's my shark down there. There's Maggie. You know, gameplay goodness. Just do it. Gameplay goodness. Just do it. Gameplay goodness. Are you ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness.